Welcome, everybody. Episode number 47 of Sports Cards Live. Great to have you here tonight. Before we get started, I'm going to thank the last couple guests that we had. Last Saturday, Chris Carlin from Upper Deck and Name Cardinal from IndigenousRookieCard.com joined me. We had a great chat, great conversation, and, uh, and there was the announcement of an important ish- initiative that Upper Deck is uh, is going to pursue in 2021. So check out that episode. It was it was awesome. Very special episode. This past Wednesday, I had with me Dustin Cooley from YouTube's The Personal Finance Dad. We had another great conversation. Good guy, lot big football fan. Check out that episode as well. This coming Wednesday, joining me will be the editor-in-chief of the Basketball Card Fanatic, Adam, also known as The Real 27 Guy, will be joining me. Next Saturday, another old-school hobbyist and podcaster, John Newman from Sports Card Nation, as well as Hobby Hotline will be joining me. That will be a lot of fun. John's a great guy. I want to welcome all new viewers tonight. Thank you for joining. We're almost at 1,100 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So thanks to everyone who has subscribed thus far. If you have not, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greatly appreciate that. Also want to mention this morning, I recorded an episode of the podcast known as Let Me Get Let Me Get That Potograph with Drew Herndon, who is also a host of Hobby Hotline and Rushing the Passer. Should be dropping right about now. It was a lot of fun. Check that out if you have a chance. Later tonight on After Hours, this evening, like later, after this show with Eric Norton from up from Beckett, we are going to have the After Hours program with my buddy Amita Cheria. He will be joining, so check that out. It'll be a fun, relaxed freestyle type of episode should be great check it out as always guys your comments and questions throughout the night will be in place so feel free to ask your questions uh eric's gonna gonna be able to address a lot of a lot of interesting things so comments and questions in play as always stay tuned till the end of the show for the two new segments that i introduced on the last episode card of the day as well as the sports cards live five which is where we ask five questions to each guest and they answer them should be fun all right guys tonight's guest Eric Norton. He is the host of Beckett Live Presents. He was originally from Texas. He served in the military for eight years, went on to Seattle to work for the Mariners. He was managing their game used equipment and memorabilia sales. Um, He then has, he's been with Beckett Media now for the past six years, four of which he's been the, four of which, uh, the first four, he was the hockey price guide analyst. Let's bring him out. Where's my mouse? There it is. There it is. My man, Eric Norton. What's up? How are you, Jeremy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Welcome to episode 47 Sports Cards Live, Eric. It's uh it's been a long time coming having you on. I'm super happy to have you here tonight. You know what you know what it's like doing this. Yeah. How are you doing tonight being on the other side? Uh, you know, this is uh this is a rarity that I get to sit, sit on the other side and get, get questions, but I, I enjoy it. I welcome it. Uh, I, I love what you're doing. You and I have chatted, you and I, like I, we chatted yesterday and we don't, we're not best friends, but I feel like we know each other. You know, we're always, we're always seem to be in the same places and uh, th- I love what you're doing with your show and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you, man. It, I'm happy for you to be a part of it as well. Um, so you, you know what it's like doing this. Uh, you've been doing it for a while now and we'll get more into that later. But let's jump right in. Let's kick it off with a great question. My question to kick it off with you is, when you were the price guide analyst for Beckett Hockey, and I assume it's the same for other sport price guides as well, how did you keep track of all the cards every month? It's 
I don't know that I did it <laughs> very well. Uh, it's it's hard to do. It, it, the hockey analysts, like uh, I have, I have uh, counterparts uh, in in other offices that that help help do that, as all the analysts do. Keep that in mind that there's only seven analysts uh, at Beckett right now, and one that's basically one for each sport, and some of them double up. Um, so we we all have counterparts in our our other offices that help gather information for us and uh basically what happens is every month every every 25 days we'll run up we'll we'll run a current market report and then we'll take a look at that report and anything that's just outstanding and outstanding like way out of whack we attack those first and it's it's it's, it's a tough it's a tough job because especially I'll speak directly to the hockey market Guys in hockey forums and, and like hockey Twitter and like they really they're really on top of their game. So uh, it I did a lot of it with a lot of help from from guys who uh, emailed me and said, "Hey, take a look at this. This is a uh, this is out of whack." Or uh, you should probably look at this year this year's young guns because they're starting to get hot. So uh, that that was a lot of help. But to, to be honest with you, like I said at the top, I don't know that I did it. I, I, I didn't do it all by myself, and if I and I, I just try to do it to the best of my ability. Fair, fair, man. I appreciate the information. It's one thing that's I've always kind of wondered, and I've I've thought to myself before. I mean, you know, the the Beckett Price Guide has been a, a handy tool that collectors have used for decades now, mm-hmm. and you know, when the advent of the internet, it, it had to make it more challenging simply because the volume of transactions has has just it's it's sped up so much. There's so much. There's so many more transactions happening all the time that are easily, um, you know, researchable and, fi- and and we have access to them at, with, at our fingertips, really. So um, I always wondered how would you keep up with all that? And I, I I'll ask you this question too. Um, you got there's the stars and the semi stars that you see at the mm-hmm. back of each sports magazine, and I kind of wonder is there some sort of formula that is that is applied to the checklist when a new set comes out? Um, in in terms of maybe saying okay, this is a this is a set that fits this price point, so so that's our baseline, and then you know we know what the the superstars are going to be worth, so we're going to kind of price accordingly what the stars and semi stars and commons will be worth based on these multipliers and uh and a formula that you have is is that at all how it works or do you guys truly wait for the market to report what cards are worth uh it's a little bit of both um so there is a formula uh the semi stars and you know the star the unlisted stars and the commons uh we call those so respectively 25 percent or 20 percent and a 15 percent uh so that's from unlisted star down to uh common and we, like you said, based on the set that came out, we, we kind of know where things are going to be priced. Like, for instance, so Peachy Hockey came out uh, what, last week or, or late the week before. And we know going in that that is going to be at a certain percentage. Uh, what, uh, off the top of my head, I, I can't recall what it is. But so then we'll base the, 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 whole, the whole 600 card checklist off that percentage. Each guy has a player percentage. Uh, which helps in in pricing. So with a set like Opeachy, we can we can price it pretty quickly because uh, it's a it's a you know pretty much a base set. There's not autographs you really got to look for. You got to look for those patch cards and you know some of those unannounced parallels and and stuff like that. But for the most part, we can say okay, the set factor for this set is going to be four, and then that would make uh, that would make your common players you know uh, like 
35 cents or you know 70 75 cents or 30, be 30 30 75 that would make your uh semi stars 40 dollar and then the unlisted stars would be was that 50 cents a dollar 25 if that was off the top i mean if, if that's right i don't know if that's right but uh the that's how the percentage works and then everybody else uh 30 and above they're all listed so uh 30% all the way up to like I think Connor McDavid's player percentage pricing is is 200. So he's 200% above the uh the common the common player. So it's it, it runs like that. It's a it's a, there's a lot of there's a program that works behind the scenes that does all the math. We set the factors and then once we do that, we can go back through and look and hand price things that don't match. So uh for instance uh, young guns are always popular. The set factor for a young gun is usually thirty, but that so that would make your comments two fifty. Was it two fifty four, two fifty six? And then if but a lot of those don't match that because a guy will get hot. So we'll have to go in and uh, flip that out to where it makes sense, and we'll have to hand price it. So uh, if we're if you know say. I don't know. Mitch Marner had a you know had a you know a dip in his his season, and he's starting to drop. We could actually go back in and drop it, and uh, we we do that every twenty five days. So you'd actually drop the Mitch Marner percentage, and that would drop his cards across the whole magazine, all the sets that he's pretty much in uh, that are that type of card. Let's say correct. That's correct. All right, cool. Um, how often? Oh, sorry. Did you just say you do that every twenty-five days? You would, you guys would go in and review this stuff. Yeah, just about yeah. every every twenty-five days. Uh, with that being said, now when a new set comes out, that takes president precedence over uh, cards that need to, the older sets. So uh, new sets are supposed to be priced within fourteen days. Like twenty-one, if if it takes twenty-one days to to price a new set, that just means that there's not a lot of information out there on it. And you'll find that with like uh, with, like well, with Upper Deck does. SPX, but they put uh, you know a pack of uh, exquisite in it, one pack, you know, one pack card. That that's tough. Those are tough to price because there's just not a lot of information out there. And uh, the guys that collect those those uh, rookie patch autos and stuff like that, they get mad if it's off. So uh, yeah. we would rather we would just rather leave that at zero for the time being or in a, and we'll go back and find the pricing uh, as it comes. Uh, speaking of which, I just. How is this show not called Two Bald Guys? That's that's what it should be called. <laughs> I gotta wear the hat so we can tell the difference. But uh, so with so every twenty five days we pull a report and then we price we price for that next week, um, and then our FTP day. So the day that we send uh, the the file to the printer uh, is usually the the following Thursday after we pull the report, and it's uh, it's a constant cycle like that. We don't catch everything, um, but we we try our we try our best to catch uh, what we can what, the big stuff. All right, sounds good. I want to continue that line of questioning. I have a couple of specifics that we'll get to before we do. Let's just uh, say hello to who we have joining us this evening. Ernie Rondo, welcome as usual to yourself, sir. Legion, how are you doing tonight, my man? Welcome to the show. Name in the house. Name, welcome back, Terry. How you doing, man? Terry, welcome to the show. Who knows? Good to see you. Good evening to you. We've got Barry from Com C watching. Barry, greetings Hello, to you Barry. as always, buddy. As always, <laughs> great to great to have you on. Uh, Barry says that you, Eric, have the greatest voice on radio. So 
There you go, man. I there love Barry. There you go. Name says, what up, Eric? Uh, up, Joe, man? welcome to the show. And we have the card collector uh, uh, who's been a regular viewer lately. Welcome to you, sir. Great to have you back. Um, so, Eric, I want to talk a little bit about the Wayne Gretzky rookie card because, as far mm -hmm. as grading goes. And it's funny because you mentioned uh, earlier on already in this episode that uh, we've, we seem to always be at the same place, right? Whether it's the, the Expo, the National, wherever we've seen each other. I remember one of the first conversations we ever had. I, I forget who brought you over. It was at the Expo in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Somebody brought you over to my booth, whether it was Chris Carlin or, or Billy Celio. Uh, probably Steve Chris La Carlin, actually. No, it, it was Stephen LaRoche. Oh, Stephen LaRoche. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> awesome. So, Steve, yeah, Stephen was, well, Stephen was the Beckett hockey editor at the time. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. So Stephen brought you over to introduce us, uh, which was really nice of him. And I remember we talked about the book value of the Gretzky rookie, because I think I, I said to you, I realized, oh, you were introduced to me by Stephen as this is Eric. He's the new Beckett uh, price guide analyst. And I may have jumped right in with, you know, what's the deal with the Gretzky rookie? It seems to have been sitting at the same book value for years and years. And what does it, what does it take to change that? I probably gave you some suggestions. But my, my question is, what does it take to change the price, the, the book value, the Beckett book value for a card of that stature? Okay, is it something you can just do sort of flippantly or does it need more care? It needs a lot of care. I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid of that card. I am afraid of that card so much so that I don't want because that card is like the whole hockey market, right? Like if that card's wrong, especially well, maybe from 79 forward. If that if that card's wrong, then everything else is probably wrong. Uh, I don't I don't uh, think that I truly ever had a good grasp on it. I know that for our vintage stuff, so anything eighty prior uh, is supposed to be uh, was it near mint mint or price wise. Yeah, we got so focused on degraded card values for for. Uh, for vintage that the the raw stuff is almost an afterthought because we 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 want the we would rather the graded card be right and then we can we can adjust the raw and uh it's just really it's a scary card to build is to play with it, it means a lot to so many people and uh it's a big card to just go out there and throw a price at it because I mean, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what it is right now, but I, can, I if I went and changed it to, you know, 800, five, five, 800, that's probably going to be wrong in someone's eyes. So it takes a lot of information uh, and a lot of a lot of research to be able to just put that raw card uh, at a certain price. I, you know, to be honest with you, I think it's low, but I don't want to. I'm not doing the hockey pricing anymore. Uh, what I, what are, the guy that I'm training. Uh, I said, you know, we, before we make price changes here, we really have to know what we're doing because this card will upset all, a whole lot of collectors. So if you're going to make a change to the Gretzky rookie, and I think it's a great example, um, but but I, I also think that it uh, speaks to other sports as well. You know, I'm, I, when I were, you, were using the Gretzky rookie, it's one I'm very familiar with, but I think this would apply to major cards in all four major sports. But as far as the Gretzky goes, uh, just to discuss using that example, if we see the card going up in the marketplace on eBay as an example, and we're we're seeing 
PSA sevens, let's say, double in value. If a PSA seven is a is a near mint plus card, which should be what the Beckett raw value is supposed to represent, the same condition, not the not a a graded seven uh, or a graded near mint plus, but a, a but a, a near mint to mint card. You know, why do we not change the value of that Gretzky card in the Beckett book value, especially when it's easy enough to, to identify that that card has, say, doubled in value. And in the, in the, now, looking at recent times, it has doubled in value in the last, you know, five months, six months. Mm-hmm. Why would why would Beckett not change that as soon as it sees that? I mean, we know, I understand some people are going to think it's right. Some people are going to think it wrong, think it's wrong. But if Beckett's purpose is to reflect the market, Mm-hmm. Why do we? Why? Why so much caution? I guess, I, and I'm sorry if it feels like the same question. I'm just trying to really dig in and understand. Oh, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's again, it's just such a scary. Uh, it's a, for me, it's a scary card. But I think uh, specifically the price guide manager. Um, you know, he he just has this baseline on cards like that. You just need to be 100 percent sure. Uh, and we're always open and welcome. We welcome your your information and your advice. So, um, you know, a lot of we the way that Beckett used to do this was we would call, pick up the phone and call dealers or card shops and say, "Hey, what do you have this card priced at?" And that's how they would that's how they would price cards. Now it's you know we're we're searching you know the internet and in, uh, in auction houses and in all kinds of sites to to come up with a a fair fair market value so i we were talking off air and you know gretzky is in some cases it's priced as a poor i'm just looking at the price right now and the it's priced at four beckett low is 400 beckett high is 800 and uh you know it i'll agree with you it it, it needs to be adjusted so um it's that's i'm gonna put that in my notes right now and we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about this uh when we get to the office on Monday, because it's just, it's, it's a hard card to deal with. Here's a, for instance, here, here's a BGS six that sold for $989. But in here is a, you know, a PSA authentic altar that sold for 400. So it's, it's right. And it's wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I guess you have on your side in all this and somewhat a, as a bit of a protection for the, the values you're assigning is that Beckett's always used a high and a low, uh, price value. So there's the two columns. So, and I think that's a great, it's a great idea. Uh, it, it's a great way to do it because cards, you know, cards are not always sold for the same price. That's just obvious. So while a near mint Wayne Gretzky in raw condition might sell for these days, I mean, you know, you're going to be hard pressed to find one for under a thousand dollars. No one's going to let it go. So how are you going to get it? Mm-hmm. So, but you know, you might be able to get as much as $1,500 for a raw copy that is in near mint condition. If you see a, a, a raw copy that's in, that seems to be in gem mint condition, well, you know, you're going to be four or $5,000 probably right now, but that's not what we're talking about. You guys, the, the magazine reflects near mint value. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, four to 800, definitely old news. I mean, you can find, uh, you know, speaking of some of the other comp- uh, PSA, a competitor to Becca Grading Services, a PSA one Gretzky, those are selling for, you know, $600 and ups at sometimes if they're nice. So that's already, 
within the range of of what uh, of what should be like a seven, I think, in terms of the the raw standard um, value the, the 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 grade for the raw um, the raw card that you guys value in the magazine. So I think it's definitely primed to be increased. It's it's been sitting at that eight nine hundred dollar level for twenty years already. The market certainly changed. So. Uh, if nothing else comes out of it, let's. I think it's important to change that, and and that might send a message to the whole hobby, not just the hockey market, but other sports as well. That hey, you know, hockey's on the move as well, and I think that's something that myself as a hockey collector and other hockey collectors would like to see because we're, you know, we understand that hockey is kind of you know it's Canada's sport and it's the it's it's the fourth most important sport down in the United States after basketball, baseball, football, mm-hmm. but um, it's. You know, we're, we're, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, we're a little bit tired of being kind of the afterthought, you know, in terms of the hockey uh, collector market. And so perhaps by showing the market through the Beckett magazine that, you know, this card and others are worth a lot more than they were 10 years ago, might send, might send a a message. I'm just sort of thinking out loud there, but. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So a couple more people have joined us. I just want to welcome them to the show as well. Brian McDonald says, hello. Hello to you, Brian Rich. Welcome to you, Ben-Ganyan. Uh, Colin Murray, how you doing, man? Saw you uh, Saw you a couple days ago. Ernie says, Eric, I want ice cream. Bobby, Bobby Burrell is with us. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby has a similar uh, job uh, that, or, or project that you do, Eric, or that the, your, your trainee does and that Bobby pr- publishes the Vintage Hockey Collector magazine, and he does a bit of a price guide too in there. So, and he was a guest on my show not too long ago, and we've had the exact same discussion. Um, so interesting stuff. We're not, you're not the only one that, you know, that's we're sure. talking about it. And I think so it's something that's happening. Jeff McMahon, hello, lovely shows. Love having you, Jeff. Thanks for joining. Bobby Burrell says balls in terms of changing the, I think the change in the price of uh of the uh the Gretzky rookie. Dave Archer, Amish Dave Archer, welcome to the show, my man. Glad you are able to join us tonight. Rich says, Rich says, are you publishing based off of people's asking price or the actual final sale price? And I think he's asking that based on your comment, Eric, that, you know, you get on the phone and call guys and say, what are these selling for? So can you just speak to that? Is it sold prices or asking prices or a combination? It's so, so we don't do that anymore. We don't, we don't, we, we, there are, we, there are dealers that we'll listen to uh, our trusted guys that have uh have been around for a while, but we're not, we're definitely going with sold final realized prices. Thank you. Rich has a question. He says, is the Beckett price guide supposed to reflect the current 25 day period, or is it aimed to be an average of a much longer period? So that's a good question. Um, I look, I, people might not like me uh, at Beckett. When I say this, the Beckett price guide, the, the published magazine that you get, it's always going to be, at least 45 days off when you, when you get it just because of when it's published, when it, when those prices are printed and when it publishes and by the time you get it in your, in your LCS or, you know, your Barnes and Nobles, wherever you're picking it up at. Uh, if you take a look at the, uh, the online price guide, the prices, the price changes there reflect much quicker than they do in the print, obviously. So uh, to answer your question directly, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be every 25 or 30 days that it reflects, but what it turns out being, it, it, it does end up being way off uh, on, uh, on certain cards because it's, it's printed and published a month later than what you're actually getting it. Yeah. And that, that's, I think the market understands that, right. We're sophisticated 
collectors nowadays and we recognize that and it's it's no secret that beckett offers the online pricing tool for a subscription so you know the magazine is handy to carry around have at card shows as a reference um i fewer and fewer dealers use it to price their cards now if if any still do because there's just other information out there but it's still a great tool for looking up trade values and and you know cards that are less often um bought and sold certainly uh help helps out there but it also gives the novice a uh, a tool to refer to you know if they don't know much it's it's often the first place people go just to um assess a value to their cards i'm sure insurance companies even would use it uh mm. although it may not be the best the, in the best uh, favor of the of the uh the person in sh- the collector but mm. in any event um want to say good evening to yamwax welcome to you jay sokol welcome to the show glad you're soaking up the information here's a question from joe uh eric joe says would it be fair to say that there is so much new product to keep track of that the vintage iconic cards may not be on the radar as much as they should be especially with the uptick in vintage yes that's absolutely fair um like i said and what joe points out there is so much new stuff that that gets all of the attention and that i think that's back to your we were talking about the gretzky earlier we tried. That's probably why it sat at four four eight hundred for such a long time, and we we try to catch that when the hockey the hockey book comes out. That comes out once a year. We'll try to look at that, and then the, the graded book comes out twice a year. We we look at it then. Uh, the vintage collector magazine comes out quarterly, and you know we'll look at it then. But there's so much new stuff that it's it's really tough to keep out. I mean. I would. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if everything from 1990 back gets cut out of the hockey magazine at some point, and you're going to have to go online to find it. It's it's just because there's so much new stuff. You know, I've, the old me would have said, "Oh, you can't do that," but the the new me would say, "That's a great idea because first of all, you're you know, it's a lost a lot of wasted paper on." on pricing that doesn't ever change and so and really how many people are using it and hey the world's changing to a digitally driven uh marketplace so for you to move your 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 readership over to there i think makes a lot of sense but of course i'm sure there's many more business issues you need to discuss before a decision like that is made or a move like that is made but that makes good sense to me i'd I'd have no problem with that as as a hobbyist I just want to. I just want everybody to say. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said I just wouldn't be surprised if it did happen. I don't want. I don't want those emails. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, sometimes some great ideas can be hatched right here, just chatting, uh, chatting among two hobbyists and kind of brainstorming on things with the help of the viewers as well. So, um, here's a question from uh, Jay Sokol. He says, "Why are the published guides pr- guide prices sometimes different than the online price guide?" It's just about. It's it's just about timing. Uh, it's a, a matter of when we hit we hit print or publish uh, on those on those magazines, and then it literally we could we could do that, and then a week later a guy could get hurt and he'll he'll drop, and that's why it's just all about time. So educate me a little bit if you can on some of the other sports, and I mean I I do collect the other sports, but um, I have most experience uh, in terms of um, consuming the Beckett magazine, being the hockey magazine. So we've talked about the Gretzky rookie. What cards in what what card in basketball, baseball, football would kind of be the equivalent in terms of it's a card that is very sensitive. You don't just go change the value 
flippantly, you guys do a lot of research, a lot of discussion before you do that. What would be the card in baseball uh, if one come? And I, I know this is out of left field for you. Does something come to mind that would be that card in baseball? Uh, trout, uh, 2011 update trout. Um, and that's a high volume card too. So it's yeah. easy to get a, a value on. Yeah. Um, currently, Zion Williamson, anything Zion Williamson is is a big talk. Uh, anything LeBron James, like we just had to, we just bumped uh, 03, 04 Bowman Gold LeBron James. It was, it was drastically undervalued. And it was something that we had to have a conversation about and, and bump it. Um, uh, and this might seem like a fluff answer, but insert in rare inserts from the 90s it's that's another area where we have to really because there's not a lot of uh you know a lot a whole lot of information out there but like back to hockey specifically gold star quest gold and you know for was that 97 98 that's that's a tough decision because there's just not a whole lot of information out there i will tell you right now yes those are undervalued in the in the beckett in the beckett price guide but i there's just there's not information to, to bump it. I know that it needs to be bumped. Uh, the guys around me know that it needs to be bumped, but I can't just throw a number at it blindly either. Fair enough. Yeah, it can be tough. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned Starquest Gold. I I did see. I think a uh, Patrick Waugh just sold recently for like eight eight or nine hundred dollars. Yep. Um, and it had some damage on it. Even I don't know what that card books for, but just from what you're saying, it probably books for uh, less than eight or nine hundred dollars and and even if one big card moves and that's only a 30 card checklist and you know you've got mostly stars in there but if you see the sale of a of a player of a patrick Waugh caliber mm -hmm. you could then potentially i would i would assume you could potentially take the the formula that's applied to the other or the the multiplier type formulas and apply them to the other players on the checklist to get their new values as well however does it make sense for you and this is the question does it make sense for you guys at, at beckett uh, in terms of price guide analysts does it make sense to use to take one sale a card that might transact once a year publicly can you take that one sale and change a whole set's pricing based on one sale i don't think so i don't think it's smart to uh that's the argument that uh, the wall so Within three three or four months, the Wall sold, a Martin Brodeur sold, and a Yarmir Yager sold, and it, it was enough then that we could we could make educated guesses on that set. But if it was just the Wall, I, I don't think it's smart. But then you know collectors get upset, and that's where again where we though we rely on on dealers and and guys who are you know embedded in embedded in it. We we welcome their information uh, if it, as long as it's you know researched and, and credited information then we'll, we'll take it and listen to them but if it's if it's hey i sold this card for five hundred dollars north of your book value in my card shop and you know okay what do you want me to do with that <laughs> yeah yeah it's I, I i can see that it's i don't envy the job for sure so i certainly understand it and i, I you know I, I do i do commend you guys for being cautious with these things i think it's important you it, it's a it's a it's a lofty position to have uh being you know a price guide analyst really it, it can really impact the hobby so i think erring on the side of caution is important but i also i will say i do want i'd like to see i'd like to see the beckett price guide become more relevant again and i think to do that it has to reflect fairer market values what's actually happening 
I think that's not, nothing wrong with that. Carlos says that it's $98.99. StarQuest Gold were ridiculous, super tough, and they almost never appear. The guide prices are crazy low compared to what they cost when they do appear. So I think we all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Carlos, and welcome to the show. Uh, Joe says, on your research teams, what due diligence occurs with regard to closed sales being confirmed as paid? That is a question that is uh, for somebody above my pay grade. Uh, it's I know that we 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 have our, our software that um, that researches this, and then we have an analyst that goes over those those informations. Now, granted, the analysts that are looking at these, they're they're uh, not always uh, very familiar with the sport that they're working in. They're 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 getting better at it, but then it's up to the actual senior analyst to go. All right this doesn't look right let me see if this was was paid for uh, why is why is it so high why is it so low and uh it's it's a lot of research on everybody's part involved to make sure that it, uh, it's an actual legit sale um there are uh, gosh i don't even want to say that out loud there are uh <laughs> there are places that we don't we just don't look at their the sold sales from you know because yeah because we know (laughs) yeah hey fair fair enough i'm sure you have your reasons and uh that's fine all right um 90s debo cards jake who will be my guest on october 3rd jake welcome to the show he's late to the party wants to say happy to see eric the goat eric you're you're one of the goats man (laughs) thank you jake um here's a question from rich so i'm not sure i haven't read it in full but let's see he's asking is it feasible to have an asterisk beside cards that perhaps in the last 25 days significantly over or under the published beckett range feasible i i I think that's what the up and down arrows are for because those arrows are are there for uh they're supposed to be there for 30 days so I think the arrows would help you there. I don't know that it is feasible, though, to, to have an asterisk next to every card that is, is high or low. Uh, again, that's just be on because of human error. We, we, we catch as much as we can, but we don't catch everything. So uh, to, to think that to have an asterisk next to every card that didn't have a uh, – that, that might be low or high in the last 25 days, I don't think that's uh, realistically a possibility. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Okay, man. All right. Well, listen. I think that's good on the whole pricing. It's it's a it's a tough job. I think we all recognize that now. And um, and uh, but really for what it is and for what you guys are doing, um, it seems to me like the approach you're taking is is as good as it can possibly be right now. I just I just think that certain things need to to catch up. Um, and maybe it, you know. You, you mentioned the kind of the timelines of, you know, every 25 days you guys do a, a review and every year the book comes out and quarterly the, the vintage comes out. Um, I wonder, and I'm just saying this out loud, I, you know, I wonder if, it, if, there's, if there's a time or if it's now maybe time to do a more thorough kind of review of things, um, especially based on what's been going on lately. And we've seen these prices hold i mean not to say they're going to always hold but we have seen them hold for quite some time now so i think i think key and important cards and there's hundreds of them maybe due for a review we'll leave it at that man thanks for addressing all that i know it's not easy that some some challenging questions there but i do appreciate you your uh your candor and your willingness to to discuss it all right you've been with beckett now for six years you've mentioned that you were you were the price guide analyst for the first mm-hmm. four years and then you're you're no longer can you just take us through give us a bit of an idea about what you what your jobs have been at beckett uh during your tenure there 
Sure. So the actual, the first job that I had uh, at Beckett, I got hired as the Beckett coin analyst. Uh, I, I'm going to raise my hand and tell you I know nothing about coins. I don't know. I, 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 I bold-faced lied to the people that hired me. I was like, yeah, I can do coins. No, I couldn't. It was, it was, <laughs> I, I tried. Uh, but the intent was always to move me over to a sport, and that sport happened to be hockey. So uh, I did that for four years. And then, actually, I guess I did I did coins for about a year. Then I did hockey for four. And the beginning of this year, I, honestly, like January 3rd, I walked back into the office and they were like, congratulations, you're the new social media manager. And that's what I've been doing uh, since since January. It's, it's a job that I actually wanted to do for a long time. I, uh, I applied for it three different times and it, it, it didn't work out. But uh, this time they were – they – literally just handed it to me and said, you know, you do this well. So we want you to do this for us. And um, that's what I've been doing since January. I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun with that, with that comes. So I, I handle the social media for uh, Beckett grading, uh, Beckett authentication, uh, CBCS comics uh, with that. I don't, I don't grade. I don't authenticate autographs or look at comic books uh, to grade as well, but I handle their social media. Uh I also do it for for the Beckett market, the Beckett marketplace, and uh, Beckett Media proper. Um, I also run the day to day business of the Beckett marketplace. So if there's a if there's a problem there uh, with a you know, customer service issue or something like that, all that comes to me and I straighten that out. Uh, then I have the Beckett live shows that uh, we 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 do. Tuesdays are a lot of fun. Uh, my good friend, your good friend, Steve Grad. He, he, we host a show called Grad School Together, and we, we talk a lot of autographs and uh, memorabilia. And then Wednesday, Wednesdays and Thursday nights are kind of up up in the air. I get to choose who I want to talk to and about what. And uh, you, you mentioned Jake Roy. He was on earlier. Jake's going to be my guest uh, next Tuesday night, so we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, you got to stop. You got to stop sniping my guests, man. <laughs> Actually, I, I had him set up for Thursday, but him and Steve had to flip. So uh, you know, it's it's a lot of fun doing. Like doing this, what you're doing again. I think you're doing a great job. And this is what I really, really love and, and enjoy doing. So, uh, it, it, it's a good fit for the social media aspect of my job, and I get to come come home and do these shows on the nightly basis, or most mostly nightly. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I love what you're doing too. I tune into the show uh, regularly. It's nice, uh, and I love you know Steve's a buddy of mine. I like to hear what he has to say. You have interesting guests, and we've had we've had many of the same guests mm-hmm. already, both on your show and on my show. So it, a little bit of overlap, but hey, I think we we have our, our shows are different. Uh, I think one of the key differences is that um, you're you're an employee of Beckett. You're representing the the brand, the company. Um, you have sponsors, so it's a bit of a different type of show uh, from that perspective. Whereas. I have no sponsors. I have no employer. Uh, I just come on and and do my thing with the guests. And um, I, th- I think it's uh, we we offer two different uh, two different sort of products. And I think they're both awesome. I, I love what you're doing. So keep it up, man. I I'll, I'll continue to keep on tuning in for sure. Can, can I say like I when I was doing the fat packs, I've, I I I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm gonna bust your balls a little bit. Like for two maybe three years, I was like Jeremy. Every time I was in Toronto, I was like, hey, you gotta come. Can you come do my show? And I you like you like you kind of blew me off. Not like you were just like, no, oh, who's this guy or whatever. But you're like, I don't want to do that. And I this is the kind of vibe I got from you. But it's funny now that you're doing it. And I like you, it's it's a lot of hard work, right? So you understand like trying to get guests, booking guests is not the easiest thing in the world. 
And uh, it's funny that I'm doing your show first before <laughs> Man, you're making me feel bad right now. I because I know I've seen you at you know a dozen expos, a half a dozen nationals, and you're right. You 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 say it. You you've asked me every time, and uh, it's not that I haven't wanted to do it. It's just it's really just you know I, I just didn't know what the next steps would be. So um, so. Anyway, but I appreciate it, man. It's, it's it's flattering to know that you wanted me on the show. I, I do remember that, and I wish I'd come on before, and then we it could have been in the in the proper order. Right, but, it's uh, fine. It's okay. I want actually. Can I expand on that a little bit? Sure. So you were talking about the first time we ever met earlier in the show, and Stephen brought me over to you, and we had a conversation about the Gretzky, and that that all happened. The rest of that story is that you and I. We're at the same after party that night, uh, the Grosner after party at this, I forget where it was, complete open bar. I don't drink, so it's not a problem. Everybody in the bar is drinking and eating food, and me and you are sitting in a booth talking about Wayne Gretzky cards. <laughs> oh, I do remember. We were playing We were playing some sort some sort of like life-size bowling game or something it, like that. Was that what it, it was, was? It was bocce ball, so bocce. It, was, it was soccer and pool mixed together. Yes, but like life size, where we, yeah. yeah, I remember. Yes, I do remember, and I do remember chatting with you and another another person from Beckett. I remember it was Laroche. It was oh, it, that was okay. It's all coming back to me now. And I had when I had Steve on, we didn't even that didn't even come up. But now that now that you remind me, I do remember that that evening quite well. And I remember thinking to myself after, I think I got them to move the Beck the the Gretzky price in the Beckett. I think I got them to do it because I was I was really pleading with you to, to do something there. So, but uh, I guess I didn't, and uh, maybe this time um, I have. Hopefully, we, we'll get something done this time. We definitely will. Sorry, I just had an Amber alert. Let me turn my phone down. My bad. No problem. You better make sure that's nothing that you, you can't miss here. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We're good now. All right. So you mentioned fat packs. Tell us a little bit about fat packs then. Oh, so Fat Packs was, uh, man, I loved that show. It was so fun. So there was a Beckett podcast. I, I think it was just called Beckett Radio. And to be honest with you, the guys that did it were good, but it was very sporadic about when it was released. Like like they'd go two whole weeks without a show, and then they'd put three out in a week or something like that. It was always – the timing was always odd. And – the guy that was in charge of the price guide department, he had a completely different vision for what he wanted that show to be. He wanted to be like, like an infomercial, like how to use the online price guide or what the up and down arrow arrows mean in the, in the back, in the magazine and stuff like that. But um, it was um, thanks, Jake. I appreciate that, buddy. Sorry to uh, distract you there, Eric. No, it's fine. Uh, it was, it was very sporadic. And then one of the guys just, like kind of quit like he just didn't have time to do it anymore he uh so he, he didn't do it so i stepped into that role and me and Derek ficken we started doing a consistent show and it was still very very low number wise like we were getting 100 downloads a week it wasn't anything very serious at all and then Derek moved out of the uh, out of the department and he went over to the grading side of things and and then it left me myself and I, there was another guy there, uh, Paul Worth, who has since went on and, and opened up his own card shop. Uh, what's up, Paul? He's doing uh, he's doing a great things down there in Waxahachie, Texas. But uh, he went and opened up his own card shop. But before he did that, I basically told him, like, hey, you're coming with me and we're going to go do this show. And uh, 
the reason it was called Fat Packs is because uh, we are both two pretty rotund guys, and it was a good play on word, and uh, it, it made a lot of sense. So that Fat Pack show was just a, a love of labor, uh, a labor of love, sorry. And it was we we made sure it was consistent. We I and I booked all the guests. I did all the question prep. I did all the social media for it. And there were times where the people who were in charge were like, I don't, we don't get what this is. We don't, we don't understand this and we want to stop it. And I, I just kept asking, I'm like, look, just give me a month. Just give me a month. Just give me a month. And and I said that probably four or five months, you know, <laughs> just, just give me a month. And then it worked. It like it finally clicked and uh, it was, it, it became uh, a, a just a great show. We were nominated uh, for a, a national a national podcast award uh, uh, here in the States. And it was um, a consistent, a consistently good show. It wasn't, uh, there was no inconsistency at all once it became got rolling. And we had a lot of fun over the, over the years. That lasted three years. We did 360 episodes of that show, exactly 360 episodes. So when we, when we, on episode 360, we switched over to Beckett Live after that it was like we we had come full circle and it was time to do something different uh and I'll, I'll be honest with you i fought i fought and fought and fought i never wanted to do a live video show i didn't want to do it I, it was it was it wasn't anything i was comfortable with but uh I, i'm enjoying myself now though awesome hey and you're doing a great job so i hear you a couple comments i want to bring on it we put on jake's i'll put it up again I, what I like about what he says is that Fat Packs is part of what inspired him to start his channel. And Jake's got a great uh, mm -hmm. YouTube channel. Everybody out there, if you aren't familiar with it, it's right there in, in the on the screen, 90s B-ball cards. Check it out. And again, he will be my guest on October 3rd. Um, here's a question from Sean Robb. He says, is there any plans to change the Beckett Marketplace checkout process in particular to select specific sellers? Sean, I don't... Um... Send me an email, Sean, and tell me sp specifically what you're asking about. The because if there's an issue with it, yeah, I want to check it out. My you can email me at Eric N uh, at Beckett.com and I will Sean, you just send me that specific sellers. I don't quite understand that that question. That no problem. And I have I have Eric's uh, Twitter account streaming right now on the ticker. So Sean, mm -hmm. you can also uh, reach out to him there if you didn't catch that email address, which I don't have loaded up and ready to go. Uh, Amish Dave Archer wants, says fat packs. Do you still keep in touch with Paul? You mentioned he's got a card shop. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I do, uh, I, this is episode, the second episode where I'm doing the new feature called card of the day. And it's quite simply where I'm going to show a card from my personal collection that somehow ties into, to my guests. So we've already got that card picked out, but I mentioned to you earlier, um, Eric, that I have a second card that I want to show, but I was going to sort of surprise you. Okay. So here's, here's my, here's the second card for card of the day, but I'm going to bring it up now at the 47 minute mark. Look at that. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Hey, that was our first card. That was it. That's your rookie card, man. Yeah. That I art is by Brent Naughton. I love Brent. He's a great guy. Uh, One Star Gum did the uh, card design. Did you get that? That was in 2017, the Chicago National, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get, yeah. I got this from you guys at the table there. I came yeah. up and got you to sign it for me. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I thought you might like that. I like it. I still have it. it it's been displayed up there on my top shelf for the last few days uh, in anticipation of you coming. So even last night when we were hanging out, you didn't, uh, you, you wouldn't have seen that there. Very nice. 
Uh, here we go. I see you sent me your email address. So I will quickly uh, put that up on the on the uh, screen for, for you, Sean. And um, there you go. Eric at Beckett.com is now available if anybody wants to email Eric and talk about... Uh, Talk about price guides or, or the marketplace. We have a comment here, Eric, from Joe. He says, 30 years later, I still get excited when that coveted Beckett shows up in the mail. Thank you, everyone at Beckett Services. You guys are huge in the hobby. Very nice. Thanks sure. for the comment, Joe. Eric Stefano says, Fat Packs helped me a lot the last year after 20-year hiatus of being out of the hobby. That's pretty cool. Nice to hear sure. that. Nice. Welcome to the show tonight, Eric. Uh, Bromf is back, says, nice, humble beast hat. I met the guys from Beautiful Eulogy before. Very nice. That's cool. There you That's go. Great. I don't even know what you guys are talking about, That's but I'm sure, I'm sure it makes sense. <laughs> so Humble Beast is a, uh, it's the hat I'm wearing. It is a uh, record label in Portland. It's a Christian hip-hop record label and Beautiful Eulogy, uh, three white guys that can rap. It's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Very cool. All right. And Matt says, I think he means when you add a bunch of cards to your cart, you can't check out by individual seller. Ah, I see. Yeah, uh, that is an issue. Uh, we 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 have been trying to work on that. With that being said, um, th during it was it was part of our plans at the beginning of the year, and then COVID hit and everything changed. So uh, if that's if that is the question, yes, that's something that we're we're looking at, and we're hoping to maybe have some something in Q two of next year. But I cannot promise that uh, as we're we're still you know, progressing through this pandemic, just like everybody else. Yeah, man, for sure. You got to prioritize and get to things as you can. A uh, follow-up question from Sean Robb and one that I find very interesting as well. He says, how are sales at Beckett Marketplace? Is this a record year for volume? It's stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, yeah, they're great. Uh, the Beckett Marketplace is very strong right now. Uh, I believe all our dealers are, are, are pretty happy with, with what's going on. Um, it's... I. I hesitate to say this, but like it started the day after Kobe Bryant passed away. That's when it started. And it's been kind of riding that high ever since. And uh, I, every, it's happened across all, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's eBay or, or sport lots or wherever you're going. I think everybody's having record sales years right now. And it's, it's because I think guys like ourselves uh, are sitting at home with maybe some uh, disposable income going, oh, I remember this card. I want to buy it. And it happens a lot. Yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. Okay, so we talked a bit about, um, you know, fat packs and that. You've obviously been part of hobby content, online hobby content for a while now. Um, and and currently, there's been uh, an explosion of, of online content, whether it be, you know, whether it be the amount of people using Instagram or Facebook groups. Um, and then, of course, YouTube, this show here, your show. So what, what are you what are you seeing in terms of the evolution of hobby content from your perspective? Like and it's funny because you said to your, you said just before that you you were a little um, standoffish in terms of switching from an audio show to a video show. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit to the evolution of hobby content and, and what, how you feel its impact is on the hobby? It's uh, I think it's it's kind of driving the hobby right now. I think everybody has an opinion. And, you know, and they want to get it out there. I, I once said, and I, and I stand by it. Uh, if you want to start a podcast, all you have to do is have a microphone and half an idea and you can get one started. And uh, it's, that's pretty much it. Now, with that being said, there is some good quality content being created out there. Uh, whether, it, you know, it's on TikTok or YouTube or, or Facebook live or wherever you're, you're, you're consuming it. Uh, 
and but I think there's two distinct different um, segments. There are guys who who are collectors and they're set collectors and they care about your base card and they want uh, <laughs> they want the the old they're called the old guard. They that old guard is very protective about what the hobby is. They have very strong feelings and opinions about, about what the hobby is. And then there's the new, the new guard that, that Gary V generation that comes in and uh, Gary V told them to buy PSA 10 Larry birds, you know, so that's what they did. And then they flipped them and then they made some money and they, and they kept doing it uh, with everything that Gary V told them to do. And I don't, I don't, I don't have uh, any opinion on Gary Gary V whether he's good for the hobby or bad for the hobby. I think it's it's been just a, a really cool roller coaster to be on uh, since he's been involved in it. But uh, there there so there's those two different segments, and they don't mash well at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, there, I don't see there's no there's no crossover really at all. Then there's guys like me. I'm in the middle. I don't. If you want to collect, collect. If you if you want to flip, flip. I don't care. It's, it's your stuff. So I just try to be entertaining. Yeah, that's and that's a good approach, right? I mean, if you're yeah. gonna try and keep people watching, hey, there we are, two bold guys. If you're gonna <laughs> uh, if you're gonna try and uh, you know have an audience stick with you throughout a show, you, you it helps to entertain them. That's for sure. Um, you know, there's there's another show called Hobby Hotline that is hosted by um, you know friends of yours. Uh, pretty much new friends of mine, guys I've just gotten to know very recently. Um, I mentioned earlier that this morning I recorded a podcast with Drew Herndon, who does Let Me Get That Potograph. So that was exciting. That, that should have dropped tonight. And one of the, you know, I asked you the question. I'm going to turn around a little bit on myself in terms of hobby content. You know, I started my show, uh, this show, because, um, well, it kind of filled the need I had. I wanted to go sell some cards one night, and it just sort of turned in, into an interview show. But I also was was looking for hobby content to consume. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to about a year and a half ago. And, uh, and you know, when I started the show, it, 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 it did sort of fill a void. One part of the void was that there wasn't um, much to do when COVID hit and the pandemic hit and social distancing. So, um, but, you know, even since I started and this for the first episode of Sports Cards Live was on April the 16th. And at that point, there wasn't that much out there. But now there is there is a ton out there. And one of my favorite parts of it is the, is being able to meet other people. We so not only do we have that we collect cards in common, but we also have that we're content creators or YouTubers in common as well, which makes us you know that that much more able to have a great conversation and, and a relationship, a friendship. So that's been a lot of fun. The guys from Hobby Hotline. Uh, we're very welcoming. I've, I, you know, I've got them scheduled to come on the show, um, and you are now a co-host, uh, a, 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 a semi-regular type of co-host on their show. Their Saturday mornings, uh, mm -hmm. nine at eleven a.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. What's what was it like uh, doing your first uh, co-host with them? And what was it like when that other bald guy called in and joined you on screen? <laughs> so actually, that wasn't my first. That was, I guess, that was my first official. Uh, I've been on that show a couple of different times. I know all those guys really well, uh, really well. De uh, Drew is, uh, you know, he's a great guy. John is a great guy. Uh, John actually last, not so I guess, yeah, last year at the Toronto Expo, I had John drive up from, uh, he's he's from Northern New York and he drove up and he stayed in my hotel room and we, we went to the Expo together. We had a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's a little weird when you say, hey, uh, honey, I'm, I'm going to go stay in Toronto with, with this guy I know. It's, yeah. it's, 
it doesn't always work out well for everybody, right? He's a YouTuber. Yeah, he's a YouTuber. Uh, so, you know, John is John is a great guy. He's he's really smart. John was a, a he had a he had a card shop back in the 90s and now, now he's not doing that, but he's still involved in the hobby. He's fun. Uh, Dub as well. All those guys, uh, we've all known each other for a while. Back in 2017, back at the National, there were five podcasts. That was it. There's close to 200 now. Uh, yeah, either yeah. either podcast or, or web shows or whatever. So um, I was really excited to see you jump on. And I, I was like excited to introduce them to you because I knew who you were. And uh, I was I told each one of them after you jumped off the show and after we, we ended the show, I was like, look, Jeremy's smart. If you want to have a good guest, you get Jeremy. And, and you know, uh, I'm happy to hear that you've uh, lined some of that up already. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. I, I appreciate that. And yeah, so Drew, who's the, I think, pretty much kind of the main host of, of Hobby Hotline, he had me this, we, we recorded this morning. He dropped this evening. He said, I haven't heard it yet, but we, we did it this morning. John Newman, who you're referring to, is my guest on September 26th. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure he's invited me onto his show as well. So we'll we'll get that done eventually. It, it, it's it's fun, man. It's, you know, a lot, a lot of one of the biggest benefits or, or rewards of me doing this show is that I get to spend time with all my guests, not just during the episode, but usually the night or two before when we mm-hmm. kind of just get together and do a little bit of talking and building some rapport and planning a little bit of the, the topics we're going to discuss. So I feel quite fortunate that I've been able to spend so much time with so many people uh, who are at, at all levels in the hobby. It's just, it's, it's been a great hobby experience, you know? So it's really fun. Uh, you said at all levels of the hobby. I think that's important. Um, I think there are good quality shows out there, uh, you know, such as this or Hobby Hotline that we're, I guess, you know, the sport card investor, he's, Jeff is a great guy and he's really smart, but for the novice, that might be a whole lot to jump into because he's throwing a lot of information at you that will, that could help you flip a card. Uh, shows like Hobby Hotline or Beckett Life Presents or, or this, you know, Sports Card Live, uh, we kind of dumb it down a little bit to help to help everybody out as we can. Uh, not th- not that there's anything wrong with what uh, the Sports Card Investor does because it's a great show, but there's there's, there's a show for every level, and um, to the to the novice who's jumping in, they might want to jump in and get all that Sport Card investment knowledge. Uh, I. And, and you know they might be smart that way, and, and can use that information to to really get going. But then there's guys uh, who have been gone from the hobby for 20 years, like the commenter earlier, and and he's jumping back in, and he needs a place to start. So there's something for everybody. For sure, there, there's so much information uh, to consume out there right now. And uh, I guess one I guess one of my questions for you was going to be when we were talking about Beckett Live presents your your current show. Uh, my question was going to be. What are some of the goals and sort of the mission, if you will, for the show? Um, and I, I, you reminded me of the question because you just said, like, you know, it, it's actually I'll let you answer that. I'm not going to answer the question for you, Eric. Sure. No, it's you know, I didn't know. I didn't really. I, I my hand was forced. I when COVID hit, the, the the governor of Texas said, you know, basically the counties can do what they want to do. So the Dallas County judge. Uh, he he shut shut us down. Like he said, non-essential workers have to go home. So like, I grabbed grabbed my stuff and I went home on March 21st, and I didn't know when I was coming back to the office. And so 
I when I left, I didn't have my podcasting equipment. I I was my my hand was forced. I had sponsors that I had to, we had to to take care of, and I had content that I had to create. So I had to go buy you you know a webcam and a and a, and a USB mic and started doing live video. Um, so I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I will tell you this: in an average year for the Fat Packs podcast, we we did about 60,000 downloads. It's we've been doing this uh, since the middle of April and we're at 152,000 downloads. So it, it's better. It's the content's better. The, uh, the, the downloads are better. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun, I guess. So right now, just looking at it by the end of the year, you know, December 31st, I, I would like to be somewhere near 200,000 downloads. And I, I think a part of that is that people have more time on their hands than they've ever had before, right? Sure. So they're they're consuming more content. So you know, it's just like supply and demand, which was a big topic uh, on the, on on my show uh, last week on um, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, there's there's more demand for hobby content, so the supply has just sort of appeared over time. A couple comments I want to bring on um, Amish Dave Archer, I, another YouTube channel, one that I watch and I recommend everyone check him out. So there it is on the screen, Amish Dave Archer. Check out that YouTube channel. He says. Woo, I'm I'm the old guard. Give me those 90s inserts. This is back to when you were talking about the mm -hmm. two different types. He says, but I'm I'm going to always be squarely in the corner of knelling, never telling folks how to spend their money. And you know, you just brought up uh Jeff Wilson of, of Sports Card Investor. And I think, and I, I haven't watched much of his his show as much lately as I was when it really first well, up until a couple months ago, I guess. I just time-wise, but it seems to me like that on his show, it's a lot. It, it's a lot of showing cards that are on the move, yeah. and and where where whereas and that's fine. I think the hobby has there's there's a need and there's a demand and there's a want for that sort of information. A lot of the new people coming to the hobby are coming in because they're they're just seeing dollar signs. And for those people, Jeff, I think delivers a great product. Yeah. But if you're if you're going to come into the hobby and you're coming in from a the as a collector, if you really have the collector gene, and I know it because I it's it's deep in me. If you have the collector gene, I think it's good to check out all the content out there and then kind of hone in on the ones that speak the most to you. And my goal, I guess one of my goals for, for Sports Cards Live is to become a library of episodes that are kind of like must watch, you know, jump right in uh immerse yourself in the hobby and you know you get the cross section of guests and and that sort of thing so kind of just my thoughts on that uh eric stefano says i love all the different shows and i think that's awesome that that eric you know that, that that you do love them all eric because there are so many great shows out there and i say that like i, I truly mean it because i feel so fortunate that i'm i say it a lot on the show i'm sorry if it comes across cheesy but it's like I'm making new friends in all this and people yeah. that I can't wait to see in person and have a meal with or have a drink of beer with or show them my pickups at the national or the expo and meet up. And like, I really look forward to that and not just other, other, not just other um, hosts or, or content creators, but even the people that are, that are, you know, commenting episode after episode and becoming really fam real familiar names. Eric, on your show, do you have that? Are you experiencing that same thing where you have the same viewers every time and you almost feel like you know them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are, you know, guys that, that hop in nightly and uh, I, I, I love them. I love because I answered this question actually the other day. 
there are, are some people that knew who I was from the fat packs and they came over with me. And then there are people who, who were just discovering uh, who, who I am in the Beckett on the Beckett live brand. And uh, they, they've been a lot of fun. And I've found that those are maybe even more so than the fat packs listeners are a little more loyal uh, because they're, they're, this is how they consume content. The, I, I hear it all the time that, hey, I miss the fat packs. I miss the fat packs. Where's the podcast? Well, uh, it's I'm not doing the podcast anymore. I'm doing this. And, you know, it kind of turns them off a little bit. But these these guys who consume content like this, uh, they they love it. And you can count on them being there, you know, every night. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I agree. I just put this up there. I'll throw it up again. Uh, Eric says, the amount of YouTube content the last two months is unreal. Uh, Rich says the collector gene. Amen. Yeah, we, we, we have the collector gene. Eric says, this is all I thought of the whole, whole last year. He's obsessed with it. I mean, it's all I've, you know, aside from my, my day job and my family, um, the hobby's all I've thought about for the last 35 to 40 years. So I certainly hear where you're coming from, Eric. I'm right there with you, my man. All right. Now, now back to the Eric on screen with me. So, <laughs> The one thing, the one thing that I think all content creators have in common right now is that we're all aware of and somewhat discuss, discussing the hype that is surrounding the hobby right now, right? There's a lot sure. of hype. We all know that. Ties into another topic I like to discuss is really the state of the market. The state of the market right now is a market of hype. And, um, you know, I think I think a lot of the hype is, is real. And I think that uh, that some of it is... Um, you know, not good, not healthy. I think a lot of it's healthy. A lot of it isn't healthy. What have been your observations, Eric, in the last, you know, really since COVID, what have you been, what have been your observations in terms of the, 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 the market, the hobby market, and what do you see as being overhyped and what do you see as being underhyped? Sure. Uh, when, when everything hit, we were just on the prefaces of, of Zion Williamson exploding. He had played eight games in the NBA, eight, and his market was untouchable. It was stupid, and the and the same that could be said for for John Morant, and then the the previous years rookies, uh, Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Uh, it was, and it's still that way. That that hype train led right into Lewis. Is it Lewis Robert? Lewis Robert? Uh, for yeah. Chicago, it led right into him, right into Jason Dominguez. Right after that, for a kid who has never swung a major league uh, bat in his in his, his life, for for the the way his stuff was selling immediately was nuts. And then and then Patrick Mahomes, and it it just it the hobby hype train did not stop. And like I said earlier, it, it's it's guys my age who are are buying up old stuff. Uh, you know, I'm 40 years old. They're they're buying stuff they didn't have when they were a kid, and then they say they see, oh, Pat Mahomes is hot. Let me pick this up. And I think so. To answer your question directly, I think Jason Dominguez is overhyped. I think uh, <laughs> I think Jason Dominguez is way overhyped. I think I think Louis Robert strikes out way too much, and uh, is a little bit overhyped, but. I can't fault the guys who are who are who are riding that train and, and selling that stuff. I I think that there are some hockey players, specifically uh, Miro Heskinen, that 
is really underhyped, and he should. I mean, the Dallas Stars won tonight. What was it? Four one, right? Is that yeah. is that what the score I mean, was? Last, last I saw, yeah, four one. Yeah. So you know, there are players on the hockey market that are absolutely underhyped, and uh, there are players in the soccer market as well. Uh, Killian Mbappe comes to mind, and, and Christian Pulisic and uh, Miles Greenwood. Those guys are, are like there's they're right there on the like the burner's getting hot. You can feel it. It's going to, it's going to blow up. But uh, I think what Mbappe might already be out of that range. But once, once, you know, they start really paying attention to the soccer market and the hockey market, they're going to find a whole nother uh, set of guys to, to, to run up the, the, the prices on, and then they'll be out of touch for all of us. Yeah, I, I hear that for sure. You mentioned Miro Heiskanen from the, of the Dallas stars, the defenseman and, you know, that he's probably underhyped. You know, I, I just want to comment on that because, you know, I watch a lot of hockey and I've watched a lot of Dallas this this playoffs because mm-hmm. they started out playing against my Calgary Flames. So I watched every game they played. And um, Heiskanen controlled the games. He is a – he's an absolute marvel. You know, the, the knock against him is that he's a defenseman and there's like this kind of – it's almost like a rule now in the hobby that defensemen get no hobby love. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this year we've got – in addition to Heiskanen being a rookie from a couple years ago, this year we've got a couple of great rookies, uh, defensemen rookies, in, in in the form of Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. And I, I, I've said it before on a previous episode, but I wonder if we're entering an era where defensemen may get a little bit more hobby love. And I think part of that hinges on they need to get on the score sheet more often than most defensemen do. Mm-hmm. So I hear you, and I, I appreciate you bringing him up because I've been talking a lot about him. I think he's, uh, I think he's an excellent player, and you know he's a, he's a candidate for the Conn Smythe Trophy, in my opinion. Although their goaltender Kudobin has been lights out, so he may have he may get that award now if they go through and win the cup. They only need three more wins, right? So I agree with you on the underhype. That's a very specific and narrow example, being Miro Heiskanen. But as far as overhype, I mean, I got to go with um, with Zion Williamson to take nothing away from his game, especially as a guy who doesn't have many games under his belt, but to for his cards to sell for as much as Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Michael Jordan for a guy who has less than a season and, and, you know, and hasn't proven a thing yet. Um, there's definitely overhype, but I don't think that's news to anybody. So, but, but thank you, man. I, it's always interesting to hear other people's opinions or, and observations on what they're seeing going on because we all, we're all sort of witnessing the same stuff, but we all perceive things a little bit differently. Any, any further comments on that before we move along to a few comments? Uh, you know, I, I, with Zion Williamson being overhyped, I think John Morant is underhyped. I think that John Morant is, of those two players, is going to be the one that really – steps forward and 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 has a, a longer more established NBA career. Zion scares me to death because of how large he is and those knees and those ankles and and you know I know I, I you look at LeBron James and they're 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 kind of built the same but you know Zion already has an injury history and I think that's where John Morant will have the the one upsmanship on him is he's not he he hasn't shown that he's prone to injury uh, I know that he was out for a little bit, but he he seems to be uh, better built for an all-around game in the NBA. Does that make sense? It completely makes sense, and I agree. Zion scares me for those exact same reasons, uh, just potential injuries that can 
derail a career altogether. And if you've invested $95,000 into his National Treasures RPA and he has a career-ending injury, um, explain that one to the wife sort of yeah, thing, right? Exactly. So, okay, man, let's move along. Um, Want to welcome Amit to the show. Amit will be my guest on After Hours, guys, which is going to start in about an hour and 15 minutes from now. So, Amit, welcome. He says, Collector Gene, great guy. That's uh, That made me chuckle under my breath when I first saw that come in. Uh, Amish Dave Archer says, buying stuff from when you were a kid is also rewarding. It, it sure is, right? That's And that's the nostalgia that really drives the hobby. I believe nostalgia is at the core foundation of this hobby. Can, can I stop you right there? Is, can, is Dave Archer, can you, you were not, fe- were you not featured as a super collector uh, in, in a Beckett magazine, I do believe. Can you just tell me yes or no if that was you? We'll wait for him to bring that in. He goes on to say, I remember reading the Beckett in the 90s and seeing so many cards that I've picked up this year that I never thought I'd get in the mid to late 90s. Yeah, I mean, and that speaks to just the, I think it's two things. First of all, we're seeing we're seeing more cards than we've ever seen before in the marketplace because more people have time to list them and never mind that in the 90s, the internet was in its infancy. So that helps too. Uh, Cardboard Nostalgia says, sold my pack, pulled Louis Robert Bowman Chrome Auto for 125 a couple years ago, selling almost for $1,000. Now, safe to say I know nothing about baseball <laughs> prospects. Appreciate your your humility on that one. And welcome to the show. Good evening to you. Uh, Amish, since I he originally turned 40 as well, so same age as you, Eric. Jason Pringle, welcome to the show, my friend. Evening, everyone. Sorry late to the show. Got a half-hour break, and I get to watch some sports cards live. Hey. Nice. When someone takes a break and tunes into Sports Cards Live, that puts a smile on my face. Welcome, Jason. Brom said, nobody questions Zion's ab- ability, but where you question is the longevity. Yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up exactly, right? I mean, the, the ability and skill is there. The size is there. Mm-hmm. In ter- you know, Shaquille was no small man, and he had a great long career. So right, you never know. You never know. Um, and Amish Dave confirms, yes, for Josh Johnson, the old Marlins pitcher, which might be why you even remember that, Eric, because you're a Mar- you're a no, uh, not sorry, Marlins. not Marlins Mariners. My 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 bad. My That's bad. Okay. My bad. That's all right. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> in terms of the market, in our in our pre-planning for the show, uh, you may you mentioned that the football market is starting to mirror the basketball market. Yes. For, for, for our viewers out there, um, can you sort of explain what you meant by that comment? But before you do, I just want to uh, address Troy's comment here. Hope, I hope nostalgia will carry through with the new generation of collectors. Well, and, and sorry, Eric, to put you on hold, but I mentioned this last or the other night is that we're not going to get them all. And I might have actually I might have mentioned that this morning on uh, the pod, the podcast. Let me get that podograph um, where I said that, you know, of all these new investors coming in, some of them are going to run as soon as they take a loss or, or lock in a loss or experience a loss. But a lot of them are going to are going to realize that they do have nostalgia in them because let's face it, a lot of them are male sports fans in North America who have been sports fans or been aware of sports their whole life. So they may they may come in now as investors, but I think they're going to I think. Uh, a portion of them will definitely get hit by the the bug or the collector gene, or they'll at least awaken that collector gene. So we'll just put that out there. Okay, thanks for that, Troy. Back to you, Eric. Football market starting to mirror the basketball market. Speak to that, please. It's nuts, right? Uh, it's it it really started with Pat Mahomes, and um, this year's rookie class, right out of the gate, you know, week one. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, had you, you saw a nice big jump of him. 
But what happened really was, you know, we all look at, at Prism and Mosaic uh, for basketball for those unreal prices, right? And then first off the line, Mosaic football came out at $830. That's insane. And it's it's something that I don't think that was really quite expected. And then take a look. I know that I know that I'm a Becca guy, but take a look at uh, Jerry Rice PSA 10 rookies. There's 56 of them, and the way that they are selling on the on the market right now uh, is is nuts. Uh, and I think it's great for football. Who, if it's not a quarterback, it's always been those skill position guys who are hot for six weeks and they sell well, and then they just fall off the face of the earth. I think what's going to happen, and what is is starting to happen, is some of those skill position players are starting to hold and, and maybe gain some value as well. And I don't think it's going to get to uh, the basketball level right now. You, I don't, unless you're unless you're Pat Mahomes or, or Lamar Jackson, uh, where you know you could see thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for a National Treasures RPA. But uh, it, it's fun to watch, and I would, I'm just interested to see what happens as the season progresses. Okay, man. No, I, I, makes sense to me. And I, you, you know, I'm not. I don't follow those sports uh, or football. I don't follow as closely as I do hockey and basketball. So I appreciate your insight there. Here's a question from Sean Rob. He says, "What is your opinion on football cards of linebackers, ends, and offensive linemen? They never carry the value that, they're, that they should." Uh, Especially linebackers and offensive linemen. Those linebackers are, you know, they're more represented on cardboard uh, than offensive line, offensive linemen. But I mean, some some of those offensive linemen have one, two, a handful of cards, and they get overlooked. I don't know why. They're 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 awesome. I, I remember uh, specifically uh, when Tops had a football license. They had a, a subset in museum collection that was offensive lineman Pro Bowl jerseys. And I thought they were completely undervalued. Uh, the same with punters and kickers. Uh, you don't see a lot of those cards at all. And I think there are great names out there that you would love to see. I have a Lynn Dawson autograph in my collection, number 25. I think it's valued at 10 bucks. That's a, I mean, Lynn Dawson's a great – he was a great kicker. I, was he in, Is he in the Hall of Fame maybe? Uh, it's, it's a card that doesn't carry value that it should. Uh, but specifically, you know, linebackers, you, you think of those legacy linebackers like Mike Singletary, uh, you know, Derek Thomas, who was in the league for just, a, you know, he died tragically. Uh, Clay Matthews, those kind of guys. There should be more value there. A lot, yeah. a lot more. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know football and I, I, I haven't played fantasy football now for probably 10 years. But the, the only kicker that I can name is Adam Vinatieri. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and That's I don't know. Does he, does he have car? I mean, does he have cards? Are they yeah. popular at all? Because he's he, the only he, guy I can name. I'd wonder. I'd, I, I, he obviously has cards, but does he have a following? Does he get hobby love? Yeah, yeah, he does because of his his time in the hobby with with the team that he played for. So absolutely, yes, he does get hobby love. But there are other guys out there that should that that don't. Cool, man. Okay, here's another question from uh, Cardboard Nostalgia. I'll let you take this one, Eric. Are there any undrafted prospects on the horizon for any sport that you expect to receive gigantic hobby love once their rookies are released? Um, not on my radar, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not out there. Yeah, uh, it, those undrafted guys are, are tough. I'll, I'll I'll tell you one, and I'll kind of kind of because I have a personal history with them is Surreal Grayson. Uh, He's a wide receiver in Tampa Bay. He was undrafted. 
He is a four-time national college champion in the, in the four by one hundred meter uh, relay at LSU. He's a he is a very very fast man, and yeah. he is on Tom Brady's radar. So uh, he he might be one guy. He has one rookie card, and it's in twenty eighteen unparalleled. That's where you're going to find his lone rookie card. So that's something that you could probably look forward to. There you go. There you go. Uh, cardboard nostalgia, Billy. Uh, Troy says Derek Thomas, no doubt, needs more love. And Eric Stefano points out uh, Junior Seo uh, of the oh, yeah. of the San Diego Chargers. I I'm familiar with that player. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the potential in the hobby for the hockey market and the on hockey cards to. Um, to gain more popularity among the collectors of other sports and mm -hmm. predominantly the collectors of basketball. What do you see there for potential uh, moving forward? You know, um, there's a set. We, we talked about this well, last week. Opeachy print, Opeachy Platinum. It mirrors Prism very well. It mirrors, mirrors Top Chrome very well. Uh, I think a set like that would do collectors well uh, because all those different parallels, how, how shiny and pretty they are. And I think it's a set that could have a lot of fun. Uh, people could have a lot of fun with. Um, I think Upper Deck does a really good job with the high-end stuff and those, those markets are established already. But sets like Prism and some of the newer, like Synergy, I, I love Synergy. Not a lot of people liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I think sets like that could really do well for uh, collectors of, of basketball cards and football cards who who like the tops, chrome, the prism. Those those do well, and I think that they should take a look at those. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with you on the Opeachy Platinum. To me, that is the set that the basketball collectors who are so used to all the prism parallels that they would most identify with, and it, it would. Um, it's a great entry point, you know, because some of these parallels are, you know, whether it, it's the emerald surges to 10 or the orange checkers to 25 mm -hmm. or the gold, the gold seismics to 50 or the golden treasures. That's the one of one, right. which looks a lot like the gold vinyl that you see in, in Panini basketball products for the one of one uh, issues there. So I think that that Opeachy Platinum is a great product that if you're a basketball collector and you're looking to start dabbling in hockey or get into hockey, that's something that you, for as far as current release products, that's one that you could definitely get into. And then, of course, there's some of the older FLIR products that came out in the early and mid 2010s that, that uh, you know, where they they paid homage to a lot of the the 90s inserts in basketball, like mm -hmm. Hot Shots and Jambalayas and Precious Metal Gems and those kinds of things. So I, I miss Flair Showcase. I, I think it's a great product. And if Upper Deck were to bring it back, I'd buy it immediately. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Um, Amit says, uh oh, now all those rookies will be 30 bucks before the end of the night on Com C. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they, easily, they easily could be. Um, yeah, there's some great cards in hockey. And I, you know, but in terms of potential, like what, do, what, will, what would it take for, in your opinion, Eric, what would it take for, hockey cards too and I don't, I don't think they'll ever get to the status of basketball cards but right now basketball cards are 40 percent of the market and hockey cards are eight percent of the market what would it take to close that gap a little bit even 
this um, I have to be politically correct when I say this. I think that breakers should be allowed to break it. Uh, in Canada, they can, if they're there, if you're a diamond dealer, you can get, you can get product and break it. But uh, most in, in, in the States, you're a diamond dealer, you can get product and break it. But mo most breakers cannot get new release hockey and break it. And I think if breakers were allowed to get new release hockey product, uh, it would do a lot to help, uh, help in that area. Does that make sense? That, that does make sense. I was not aware that uh, breakers in the, in the States that don't have diamond dealer status cannot break that. Is that an upper deck rule or yeah. some or Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I understand upper decks. I understand what upper deck is doing. They, they cater to, uh, and if I'm wrong, I know that Carlin will correct me and I'm not trying to be wrong, but the way I understand it is, you know, they want the hobby shop to have the product completely fine. I get it. But there's also this whole other segment of, of, of the hobby called breaking that I think could benefit from having hockey product. Yeah. Well said. Perhaps some, some of the, some people are listening that can help uh, effect some change in that direction. If that, if that change would be good for the overall hobby, I can't answer that, but others can. And hopefully uh, the responsibility is in the right hands. Uh, Yamwax says the iconic inserts and parallels draw me in as a basketball guy. PMGs, Jambalaya's essential credentials. Yeah, same here, Yam. I mean, that's what uh, that's what got me into basketball, and then it got me into that that segment of hockey. I've been a hockey guy my whole life. Um, not that I wasn't basketball too, but I wasn't inserts. I was rookies. I was always Hall of Fame rookies. And uh, when I got, it, it was being exposed to basketball inserts that got me interested in hockey inserts and. I've done some damage since that since that day, that fruitful day. So to his point, uh, what they do well there, uh, well, obviously with the hockey and the Flair Showcase stuff, Upper Deck also did very well with those same same card sets in their Marvel uh, masterpieces and Marvel uh, the Flair Showcase. It, it's the Jambalaya's out of Flair Showcase uh, uh, with those Marvel characters on them. If you're into that at all, it's, they're really cool. They're they, and they hold value. Yeah, I, I I look at them often because I do searches on on eBay and or ComC that are quite simply jambalaya or precious metal gems, and because I want to see what's going on in all sports to get a better understanding of, of the landscape for that uh, particular uh, insert, which I think are, are very awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Amit says, uh, oddly enough, some of those Opichi platinum inserts are named mosaic or prism instead mm -hmm. prism with an S instead of prism with a Z, which is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you Amit goes on to laugh at his own comment. I don't I Amit, don't think I don't think that's an accident at all. <laughs> no, for sure it isn't. For sure it isn't, right? Um and then uh Charles says, and welcome Charles says hockey needs more marketing in places like China and America where a lot of the basketball sales come from. Yeah, I could see marketing helping for sure. Um David French, do the graders cut the <laughs> totally off topic but david welcome to the show and happy to have you here's a question eric if you can if you can uh, answer mm -hmm. it do the graders cut the card savers open when they look at the cards uh, I, so, you know, they, eric, they, i'm not a grader yeah so uh they they take the, the cards out of the card saver uh the only time that they might not is like uh if it's an encased card like or it's, uh, it's a graded card review and uh you know they don't want to mess the card up uh that i you know recently i had a question like that 
it was a tops pristine LeBron James rookie. And, uh, you know, the, those came encased and they didn't, the guy was real adamant about it. He was like, I don't want you to open this unless it's going to grade this. So uh, those, they, they take those, they don't take those out, but out of the card savers. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. I think the question is, do they take scissors to it or do they open it up and pull it out? I think I've, that's- always, I've always seen them just open it up and take it out. I've never yeah. seen a pair of scissors involved. All right. Okay. Well, there you go, David. If I if I interpret your question uh, properly, there you go. If not, my apologies. Cardboard nostalgia. Here's a, a a theory as to why hockey doesn't get in love and how it could get more love or why it gets the love it does. NHL superstars like McDavid, Crosby, Ovechkin aren't household names like even unproven NBA players like Zion. Ovechkin might get some more ESPN mentions when approaching 894 goals because that would break up Gretzky's record. And I, the reason why I I, I, I'm reading this whole question out is um, ESPN mentions. That's Those are the key words in there to me that I'm picking out. And I wonder if that's what's limiting hockey from being more the hobby, the hockey hobby from being more popular in the United States is that it doesn't get as much airtime on ESPN and in, on the, in the sports section of the newspapers. Eric, uh, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think when... Uh... I think it was the was it the lockout that ESPN lost their their uh, hockey programming, and Steve Levy and Barry Meros were not not calling Hockey Night in America anymore, and it kind of it kind of sucked. Uh, th- those were the hockey guys on ESPN, and um, you know every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, you you got hockey on ESPN, and it, we, we loved it. I think when they lost that programming and it went to the outdoor network here in the states. Uh, it it was uh, shameful, and ESPN kind of just shut the door on it, uh, kind of like a, a a big you know screw them. Uh, so uh, that I think that hurt, and I think if ESPN were to talk about it more, you would see more of an interest in it. I'm I am lucky enough to have lived close enough to the Canadian border to understand uh, what Hockey Night in Canada is, and Don Cherry, and and you know the CBC. Uh, broadcast of hockey I, I i've seen it with my own two eyes and i think it's great but it, it's just not here it's I mean, now you have to search for it, it it's not even it, like a sunday a sunday game might be on nbc but otherwise it's on the nbc sports network and not everybody gets the nbc sports network everybody yeah. gets espn all right man makes sense thank you for that uh rich says i think the jordan shoe line really does a lot for basketball having that 40 percent of the hobby market it is essentially inadvertent marketing for the nba no hockey equivalent. Yeah, good point. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just going to say out loud to Amish Dave Archer, your question will be part of the Sports Cards Live 5 at the end of the show. We will be asking that question to Eric, so be a little patient. We will get to that. Troy says they need to recycle those savers back to the hobby. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear it. I hear it, but uh, I wonder how many people want scratched up messy card savers to put their cards in mm-hmm. um, but certainly some sort of recycle this hobby is very wasteful from its packaging to its supplies mm-hmm. i'd certainly like and i had a conversation with the people at alter pro at the, at the last national about the recyclability of their product and um and i think something there's room for improvement in that in that area and mm-hmm. something that i think is a hobby and just as uh, humanity we should be more conscious about as a, as, you know, the hobby, our industry, we should be focused a bit more on that than we are for the greater good. I've seen some of them, uh, and they're not pretty. <laughs> they have markings all over them. They're scratched up. They're yellow. 
there. I mean, a lot of it you wouldn't want back into the hobby. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, thanks for that. That was a great chat about sort of the, the hype and the hype going on in the hobby and state of the market right now. Um, moving on. Uh, Actually, before we move on, can I, I want to address uh, the Jordan brand. That, that was a great point. I think if, and I, I understand that Reebok is where the NHL is right now, but if one or two key players were a part of the Jordan brand, I think it would help the hockey market tremendously. I think it would be awesome. I wonder if the Jordan brand is open to non-basketball. I'm, 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 I, it probably is. I'm just not aware. Yeah, they have football. Like Jordan brand is the Oklahoma Sooner brand. Uh, so all the Oklahoma Sooners play in Jordan brand jerseys. Uh, uh, it's definitely something they're open to. I think like just one or two key players, maybe, maybe an established guy, like, you know, maybe just say Connor McDavid and then, you know, a key rookie or a key young second year star. I think it would help hockey a lot. Yeah. Yeah. McDavid, like a Jack Hughes or something like that could yeah. be, could be interesting. And I, yeah, man, that, that'd be great. I think, I think there are a couple of great suggestions to how to do it. Not that we're the people to implement these ideas, right. but uh, at least there's someone thinking about it. So um, good stuff. Okay, man. Um, I wanted to talk to you about another thing that Beckett does. Beckett Media uh, does as part of their annual program is you guys, um, you guys put on the industry summit. Mm-hmm. And it's always been an in, obviously it's been an in person event. I think you've held it in Las Vegas for for a few uh, for several years. This yeah. year it's going um, virtual, which is awesome. Can you tell us? I, I I've been aware of this thing. I've never been to it. I don't know much about it. So for guys like me who have heard about the industry summit, can you just give us a an overview of what the what the event is and what happens there that we are not privy to as collectors? Sure. Um- I get this question a lot, especially around this time of year when the summit is going on. You know, it's usually in September. It's the third week in September, and uh, we're typically in Vegas. Every f- it, they're for a while, and it started out there. For every fifth year, it was in Hawaii. But when the industry summit, it, w- it was first called the hobby, the hobby summit, I think it was, uh, the hobby show or something, something to that effect. And it was always it, uh, Kit Her- was it Kit. Kit put it Young. on. Uh, Young. Kit, Kit Young. He put it on. And then, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Isaacson bought it eventually, and it was still in Hawaii. But then it, it got on a rotation to where it was uh, every fifth year in Hawaii. Uh, we've had it in Dallas as well. It's something that a lot of people seem to be interested in. Um, but you need to be uh, in the hobby. You need to be a dealer, a breaker, a content creator, um, someone who has legs in in the hobby. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily for guy who you know has a bunch of nineties nineties junk era wax. You know, it's not really for him. What the content is designed for is uh, is to help hobby card shops, help breakers, help. Uh, even manufacturers at some point uh, that are involved in, uh, with business practices, um, uh, security, like security is a big, uh, a big one this year that we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's about scaling up, uh, how, you know, how to scale th- those kinds of things that hopefully the, the participant, if they're a dealer or a breaker 
uh, or whatever will take that information and then bring it back to you, the, the collector, and present it to you in a way where uh, it makes a difference. It's uh, a lot of people get standoffish about it too. Why can't I go? Why can't I be there? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, is it's a, it's for those guys who, who need it. If you're just Joe Schmo collector, you don't necessarily need the information, but you will receive it in some form or fashion uh, from from your local car shop or from your breaker or from uh, you know you might see it from a manufacturer's position. Uh, you might not know that you see it, but you will see it. Okay, well that, that's cool. So, how do you register for this thing, and can anybody register for it now that it's virtual? Are you guys opening it up to a, a, to more class of, of of attendees, or is it still really for industry insiders or for people that are in the sports card business in some way, shape, or form? I, I think there's still really one industry, industry industry insiders and people who are involved with sports cards on a day to day basis as a business. Um, if you just head over to uh, theindustrysummit.com, theindustrysummit.com, uh, you can register there. Uh, first, I don't know the number where we're at right now, but the first 350 people who uh, do register will get some pretty sweet swag, uh, like a nice swag bag that uh, that is going to be, I think there's like, I don't want to put an exact number on I think there's somewhere between six, six and $800 worth of value there. Um, there might be more. So... Uh, those guys who registered the first 350 of those get uh, get that swag bag, and it, it's definitely something cool to write home about because uh, it, it's stuff that you're not going to be able to get everywhere else necessarily. Again, they're looking for for dealers, for breakers, for for people who create content for the hobby on a regular basis, uh, who who can bring that back to the public and and help them learn uh, learn what they learn. Oh, that that's cool. I guess part of the reason I'm asking is somewhat self-serving because um, I saw an episode of Beckett Live Presents that you were hosting and your guest was, um, I forget the gentleman's name, but I think he's the manager of the Industry Summit. Uh, Ted Barker. Ted Barker. Thank you for the, thank you for money. I, I saw you interviewing him and, um, and I thought to myself, oh, that's something that, you know, I've never been to it. I might be, I might like to go to it. And I heard that the first 350 people were going to get the swag. And I know that these swag bags can be, have value to them. Mm -hmm. So I went to the website and I registered and I, mm -hmm. I, I paid the, I, I paid the freight and I, uh, and I registered. So the fact that you just told me that the value in the swag bag is, is more than what I paid to attend this thing. That's exciting. That that's a, that's a, Hey, there's an investment right there that that's going to pay off. So that that's nice, but I'm, I'm more excited for the experience and to, uh, to meet other people and um, and wrangle some more guests for the show, truth be told, and sure. I'm definitely one of the first 350 because I I might have been in the first 10 actually. So that's, <laughs> that's nice. Cool. That's kind of cool. So for anyone else out there who uh, is thinking about attending or would would consider attending, the website is up right now. I'm going to take that down right away. So write that down or commit it to memory in the next five, four, three, two, one, and it's gone. All right, let's keep on moving along. It's funny. Oh. There's some co some comments uh, came sure. in, Eric. Okay, I just, I just need, uh, need to like cap that off with. I think they're capping attendees at a, at five hundred, so uh, it's it's a limited space thing. So if you are one of those guys that would be available to go, you, you might want to register sooner rather than later. 
That great advice. All right, guys. Um, back to the conversation about uh, Nike bringing on, uh, sorry, uh, the Jordan brand, part of Nike mm-hmm. bringing on a couple hockey players. A couple great, great points were made why that might not make sense. Carlos says it makes it tough when hockey players aren't using a product that be- people can just wear on the street normally. Yeah, that's uh, true. Amit says can't exactly merch skates like basketball like they do with the shoes. Um, makes sense. (laughs) And then Legion says Austin Matthews brand fake mustaches. That that's a, there there's potential there for sure. David French says no one skates 2% of Americans skate more than once a year. Now, I mean, you know, that might be due for a fact check, but appreciate the information. And uh, that is, that is a challenge. I mean, if if you think about it, we're game one of the Stanley cup finals was tonight and there are two Southern United States teams that are in the Stanley cup finals. So if that's not going to help drive the popularity of hockey, um, you know, and even get a little bit more uh, airtime on ESPN, I I don't know what will Florida and Dallas, right? (laughs) Tampa Bay and Dallas, Tampa Bay and Dallas. That's right. That's right. Uh, David French, you said you'd love to ask another grading question. Uh, the only thing I say to that is that Eric does not work for, for Beckett grading or Beth Beckett authentication. He's the social media manager and the host of Beckett Live Presents. Feel free to throw your question out there, though, David French, and um, we'll address it if, if, if we can. Definitely. And thank you for joining uh, for sure. Um, all right. I'm just scanning the comments here to see if there's anything else that we're going to address right now. Um, well, Legion says they could make a skate with a pattern that was mimicked in a street shoe or a street shoe that of a pattern that was mimicked as a skate. I don't know how popular that would be, but that'd be pretty funny. Um, Amit says Industry Summit would be a great host for the next Sports Cars Live show once people are able to fly safely. Ah, I see. Broadcast from the summit. Hey, Great idea. I mean, we'll definitely check that out. Uh, so David French's question is, I'll put it up there, Eric. If you if it's something you can't answer, just say, I don't know. Sure. But he says, uh, two people uh, two people independently grade a card, right? And then a third person grades it, grades a card if the first two are different, or can you shed light on how that works? Do you know I the grading? No, I can't. Sh- uh, I can't shed any light on that at all. I'm, I'm, That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. What I can say, what I can say to you, David, is that um, in a past episode of Sports Cards Live, my guest was Jeremy Murray, who's the VP of Grading for Beckett Grading Services, and we had an in-depth, at least two-hour-long discussion about everything grading. So, if you want to go back and check out that episode, we did address that question specifically. So definitely go check out that er- that that episode, David. And um, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the channel. Okay, Eric, we are moving on to, we're going to start wrapping up the show and we're going to start with, um, I want you to quickly, people always want to know what your favorite cards are. The question, the first question of the Sports Cards Live 5 is what is your favorite card in your personal collection? But but before you do that, tell us what your favorite cards in the overall hobby are because I know there's three of them. You mentioned it to me and um, I'd love to hear them again. So 87 Bo Jackson, uh, Tops, Tops Bo Jackson, I love it. It's it's that ugly wood grain, but that's okay. That wood grain is sexy to me. I like it a lot. Uh, 80 tops Ricky Henderson. I love that card. And then uh, I and I told you this. I think that the Steve the Steve Azerman rookie is is completely undervalued, and I love it. It's awesome. Cool man, Bo Bo Jackson, Ricky Henderson, and uh, Steve Eisman. A great a great cross section of players there. 
I love it. I love it. Um, I just want to mention to uh, David, you say watch it. Don't think he covered it. We did cover it. I specifically asked the whole process around grading. So um, I don't want to tell you to go watch the whole two hours again, but it was it was in there. We did talk about it. Um, here's a question, uh, Eric. I don't think you're going to be able to answer, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. It's from Alex Eisenring. He says, how much percentage of revenue for Beckett is the magazines and the grading? Well, it's two different the way that it's set up, grading is almost a separate company than what the magazines are. In fact, it's two different uh, verticals completely. So um, it's at, at, at one point it was like this. It's probably more like this now. And it's grading. Just, uh, grading yeah. is higher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Sports Cards Live 5. Five questions. We'll follow it up with card of the day and then um, we will wrap things up. What is no, question number one? Favorite card in your personal collection? Sure. I have two, actually. And they are the brothers, Randy and Jason Sklar. Uh, I got these are from, what, 2016 Ginter. Uh, these are my favorite comedians. They are twin brothers. I have had them on my show uh, several times. And I got to see them live last year. And they signed the cards for me and I was ecstatic about it. I will, these, these are like will forever live in my PC. I'll never get rid of them. Hockey connection to them. Part of their show uh, is they yell Henderson and they yell Henderson because of Paul Henderson's goal in the Canada. It was at the Canada cup. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I met them, I'm the only guy in the audience that met them that yelled Henderson and they totally loved it. And they, and they knew, they knew who I was from being on my show and it was great. I loved it. It was a great time. That's awesome. Paul Henderson. Yeah. Scored the winning goal in the 1972 Canada cup question number two. And this is uh Dave Archer. You had asked the same question. What is the, what is your biggest want in the hobby that is attainable? So, and I'm just to, for, for everybody else watching, we can always say to somebody, what's your dream card? And you know, it's a 52 tops Mickey Mantle or the Honus Wagner or a PSA 10 Michael Jordan rookie. But I want to know what is the biggest want you have that is something that you feel is or will be attainable to you in at some point in the future? It's my, this might seem like a cheesy answer, but I it's this card and it's always been this card. It's a 1951 Tops ringside Rocky Marciano. Ah, right on. I mean, Very you can cool. buy, I could buy a copy right now for $250, right? But I want a really nice copy. I don't want to, I don't want a junk copy, but it's that 51 Tops ringside Rocky Marciano. And, and why Rocky Marciano? I love, like, that's my little secret. That's like, that's my little uh, thing about the hobby that, that not a lot of people know. I love boxing cards. I love, I want all the boxing cards. And uh, it's, they're not like they're they don't carry a whole whole lot of value right i'm i just like the pugilist and i i want to i want i want that card awesome okay cool man great answer question number three what is your favorite place to buy cards yeah man uh other than the beckett marketplace it's the sport yeah. card expo <laughs> sport card expo <laughs> yeah awesome. i love it there uh and i we were teasing each other about it but it i love that you can it's it's 90 90 hockey I would probably say ninety-five percent hockey. There's a there's you started to see some uh, spatter, smatterings of baseball and, and basketball uh, recently. I think Steve Menzies does a great job putting that show on, and then of course there is the meat table, the sausage table in the middle of the of the uh, expo center that smells delicious. 
They have free samples. Just don't go back too many times to get those samples. Uh, can I tell you a story about that, actually, right yeah. quick? Well, you can, but before you do, I just want to hold that thought, though. I just want to say to everybody watching, when you come to the Sports Card Expo in Toronto and you go by the you go you go by this meat table full of pepperoni and sausage and salami and all that great stuff, you're free to buy it, but please don't eat six or seven pepperoni sticks, consume them, and then go around table by table and let out your burps because I tell you, we can it, it, it smells up the whole show. That's yeah. it. Please do us a favor. We have enough. We, we have enough. You know, um, uh, personal uh, hygiene issues at the at card shows already. So don't go keep- touching. Don't go touching all the cards either after you eat the pepperoni sticks. Go yeah. wash your hands. The washroom is is thirty five feet in the opposite direction. Go wash your hands. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait, wait till you get home to eat it. That's another option. But the meat table uh, a couple of years ago. And maybe it was a year and a half. Joe Montana was there. He was one of the featured guests. Uh, and <laughs> I walked down that aisle, and Joe Montana was standing at the meat table buying samples or, or buying buying meat. And people are just standing like 15 or 20 feet away from him going, is that Joe Montana? Yes, that's Joe Montana. And he's buying Canadian meat. I don't know how he's going to get it back across the border, but that's what he's doing. It's hilarious. Awesome. Joe Montana. His favorite booth at the at the sports card expo is the meat table. Me All right. Too. Next question. If you could change one thing in our hobby, what would you change? Um this attitude that uh that base don't that the base cards don't mean anything and it's all about the hits. Um you know what? This these are these are hits to me. They're, they were base cards and I got them signed. These were hits because I love these guys. Uh, that 87 tops Bo Jackson is a hit to me because I love that card. It, it just because it doesn't have a big nasty sick patch on it doesn't mean it's not a hit. I hear you, man. I hear you. Doesn't have to have a, an autograph. Doesn't have to have a piece of memorabilia. Sometimes I, I'd rather, you know, you mentioned synergy before as a product that you really like in hockey that could appeal to the basketball collector. I completely agree with it. And their their base cards are are actually major hits their number to depends on which year they're from 18 19 or 20 that's all that's how many the the true base cards have and in 20 in the 1920 series i believe it was they added sticker autographs to some of these base cards which Mm -hmm. completely turned me off them i was collecting these base cards picking them up here and there where i could until they put the sticker autographs on them then it's like kind of just i lost interest in them so you know, there's an example of where, and I know I'm still talking about a very, rare, a very rarely inserted base card, but the 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 autograph, which would otherwise be a hit, actually kind of ruined it for me. Sure. For myself. Um, final question: Your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret? I have one for both. Um, my biggest hobby sale regret is this was like 2006. 2008 Donruss Classics football was a dope. I had a, pulled a dope, dope Walker uh, cut autograph. Now, I understand that uh, some of your audience might not know who Doke Walker is, but he is an absolute legend here in Texas. He went to SMU. That He's the reason the Doke Walker Award is called the Doke Walker Award. He is a he was a great running back at SMU. Uh, and I sold at for about $300, I think it was. And I just wish I would have kept it because I, I pulled it. Myself, you know, I didn't, I didn't 
get it in a break or anything like that. It's something that I, I pack pulled myself and I wish I would have kept that. Uh, biggest regret investing into all day, every day, twice on Sunday, Logan Thomas. I bought Logan Thomas's cards like they were going out of like I like I just had to have them. They weren't existing anymore. I don't even know if that guy's in the NFL anymore. The last time he was the quarterback at Virginia Tech, he got drafted by the Cardinals. And the last I heard, he was a he was a uh, tight end for the Buffalo Bills. All right, man. Thank you. That that explains who he is because I wasn't sure at first. So I appreciate it. Great answers. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a bonus question now. I've never done this before. This is the bonus question, but it's only coming because it was asked by a, a great viewer, cardboard nostalgia. Billy says, if you could open any sealed box from any era, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, well, the cheesy answer would be uh, 51 tops ringside. So I can try to pull that Marziano. Uh, I you know. The, the the hobbyist, the pure hobbyist in me would say, uh, you know, 52 Bowman. But I think 2011 Tops Update would also be there. And I say that because we have on our on our Beckett website, on our Beckett YouTube channel, there is a video of, of Brian Fleischer, my, my fearless leader, Brian Fleischer, and Chris Olds opening a box of 2011 Tops Update. And they literally went, oh, Mike Trout, there you go, and just put it down. And, and there's just... <laughs> There's just no like simulants for for how great that card ended up being. It's it's not yeah. hilarious. Uh, building builder said, "Welcome to the show." Says eighty six Fleer. That's what jumped in my mind uh, at first. That's of so course. cliche though. But, but it's, it's it's the easy answer too, right? Yeah, right. I mean, we know that you're going to get four, at least three to four Jordans per box, right? And if you and maybe maybe three or four Jordan stickers. It's I get it. Like I get it. That guy that sold that sold the. The, the case of it earlier this year completely understand and i would probably rip up rip that open but i don't for me i think there's other stuff because it's 136 it was a 136 card set 36 card set so after a while it's going to get pretty repetitive repetitive right yeah 100 and something of us 100 and something in there yeah it's either 136 or 160 it's something it's something, something like, that. like that yeah it's going to get repetitive and i and i yeah. love i love the cards and there's it's full of hall of famers but I need something a little, a uh, little more uh, various. You know, you you know what you're going to get out of that box. But even still, opening up a pack and seeing that Michael Jordan rookie, that oh, would yeah. be a pretty major thrill, right? Uh, Bobby Burrell says, "Meat Man at the Expo makes more money than most dealers do." I, I don't doubt it. <laughs> considering I smell it throughout the whole weekend, I don't, I don't doubt it. Uh, Legion says, "I'm sure I'm not alone when I say basketball collectors are welcome to as much synergy as they want." I mean. <laughs> That, that's hilarious. I'm in the minority. And you're right. You're right, Legion. Um, there's a lot of people. It's a polarizing type of product. Right. I love it personally. I think it's got some some gems in there. Um, but I'll, I'll keep quiet on that because I don't want to let, let that cat out of the bag more than I already have. I could be wrong, too. We, we will see. We will see. Uh, Dave Archer says Logan Thomas scored a TD as a tight end last week for the Washington football team. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. And uh, and sixty one Fleer there there's one right that would be epic yeah epic. like that's up there with fifty two tops baseball like it, yeah fifty one Parkhurst hockey right fifty right. fifty seven fifty eight tops uh, football like oh you're talking we're talking about the best of the best there all right man I'm gonna do my card of the day and then we are, we will wrap up so 
I showed my first card of the day earlier for those of you that arrived late. Eric is a veteran uh, hobby content creator and uh, one, one of the kind of pioneers of hobby podcasts with the Fat Packs podcast. And back a few years ago, I acquired this card from Eric directly. It has his autograph on it. This card is, it's, it's PC, not for sale, not for trade. Please don't even ask me. It will not leave my collection. Proud to own it. Very nice. my, my card of the day, and I try and tie it in, and this is only the second time I've done it, so I try to tie it into my guest, and after our discussion last night, Eric told me, and he just told us what his three favorite cards are in the hobby. I happen to own one of them. I, I don't have the, the Bo Jackson. I no longer have a Ricky Henderson rookie. I used to, and I certainly want to reacquire one, and I likely will because I love that card. Quick story about the Ricky Henderson rookie, Eric. Right out of high school, I took a year off. And I went to Australia with a buddy on the students working abroad program. And um, we were there for eight months. Coming back, I, I lived in Winnipeg at the time, which is like just north of North Dakota for anyone out there that doesn't know where Winnipeg is in Canada. And um, I was coming back from Australia. We stopped New Zealand, Fiji, Hawaii, and then Los Angeles. And I stayed in Los Angeles with a great uncle of mine. And I was jonesing for some cards. This is, nine, this is April of 1991. Okay, that's when this is. So I stayed with him for a couple of days uh, in LA just to check out LA. And uh, he took me to, I said, we got to find a card shop. So he took me to a card shop and I don't, I don't know where it was or what it was called again, 1991. And uh, the guy had a Ricky Henderson rookie on the shelf and I, I purchased it from him. That was my first Ricky Henderson rookie that I, it was like my first card that I bought coming back after taking, you know, eight months off the hobby because I was outside of North America mm -hmm. and there were very few cards available in Australia. But I was able to find some Skybox basketball in Australia. Yeah, huge basketball, uh, you say. The first, the first set ever. I was buying packs of that at a comic store in, in Sydney, Australia back in 1991. Anyway, my card of the day today, guys, is the other one. The Steve Eiserman rookie from 1984 Opi oh. uh, 84, 85 Opici. And this is a card that I, I love this card. Steve Eiserman is like many hockey players is underrated in the overall hobby. He's a, a true gentleman. He's a, a, a consummate hall of famer. He's been involved in hockey since he stopped playing. He was a, the general manager of the Tampa Bay lightning. He's now back in Detroit with the red wings, I believe. Right. I'm not making that up. Am I? No, that's You're right. You're that's right. yeah. And just, and, but this card itself and Eric, you mentioned to me that you just love this card. And I remember being a kid and opening up packs of these and that little picture the the headshot in the corner was so innovative. We saw it in, we saw it with 83 tops baseball as well. The Ryan Sandberg, Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn year, but we had it in hockey and such a, such a nice card. And this card has shot up in value in the last few months, like basically three to four X times its value of what it was, you know, earlier this year. And I think deservedly. So I'm it's nice to see it's keeping up. So this is a copy I've had for a while. It's got the new PSA label. Sorry, it's not a Beckett card, Eric. Uh, it's got the new PSA label, which is which adds a little bit of uh, coolness to the to the to the holder. But the card itself, I want to point out to anyone who doesn't know, when you're buying a Steve Eiserman rookie, there's a couple things to look for. But the thing that I look for the most, aside from the basic centering, which is can be an issue, the thing I look for the most is the registration. And if you don't know what registration means, it's the way the different printing plates were were laid down onto the onto the sheet to make sure that the the image isn't blurry and you can often find this card blurry 
this card, this particular example is not blurry at all. It's, it's sharp as can be. And where I look, aside from just looking at the face and the image to find blurriness, I often look right in, if you guys can see, there's there's the the this red circle that kind of comes over his head and then there's the pink circle, right? Mm -hmm. There are also black lines that outline those stripes, if you will. And if those black lines aren't tight against the pink and the red, and there's a sliver, even a sliver of white in there, that's that's a registration issue. So when I look at an Iserman rookie, the first thing I look for is to see if there's any white showing between the black that you can't even see on screen and those colors in there. And you can also see it, you can also see it on the edge here, and you no, know, and even sometimes up these stripes here as well. So little tip if you're buying an Iserman rookie registration is an issue outside of the normal issues like edges centering corners but to me registration is a um is a surface uh criteria or a surface issue and that's what i look for on an eiserman rookie and i've said to many people before if you're if you're a hockey collector and i don't ever want to tell somebody what they should buy but you you know if you're a, if you're a serious hockey card collector you likely do or you covet a wayne gretzky rookie there are a handful of other cards that I think you should covet or own, and Steve Eiserman is in that group. So card of the day, Steve Eiserman rookie, the Opeachy version, card number 67 from 1984, Opeachy. Very nice. You like that card? Love it. And I was one other one. Can I can I give him Joe Sackick too? Because that Joe Sackick rookie is uh, you, I didn't know that about the tops. You were telling me the tops is actually more rare than the Opeachy version, which is odd. Uh, but uh that that sack is completely underrated too. And you're right. It is odd. It catches a lot of people by surprise. The general rule in hockey cards is that the Opeachy set is more limited than the top set and therefore more valuable. And oftentimes people just ignore the tops cards altogether. Mm -hmm. The only year that I can think of that that that, that reversed was in 1989-90, which is the Joe Sackick rookie year. It's also got the rookie cards of Brian Leach and Theron Fleury and Gary Roberts and a few others. And that year, Tops, it was more limited in production, mostly because Opichi ran the presses for the vending cases, is my understanding, and the factory sealed sets. So um, that's the one time. Uh, Cardboard Nostalgia says that, uh, that Steve Eiserman once had 165 points in a single season, the most by any player not named Gretzky or Lemieux. That is a great piece of trivia. Thanks for putting that up there, CN. Appreciate it. And really, if that doesn't tell you something about how good Steve Eiserman was as a player, I mean, everyone knows about Gretzky and Lemieux. Uh, Bobby Burrell jumps in and says, sadly, the instant winner card is worth more than the Eiserman from that set. <laughs> I don't know about, I don't know in high grade anymore. Oh, unless you're talking about tops, Bobby, on, on Opeachy. That's, in, that's interesting. But the, the other thing is that I think we're moving over this. Sorry, Eric, this is kind of a topic and we're going into overtime here, but I just want to mention one thing. In the 1923-24 Patterson set, there's a there's there's the there, the Honus Wagner of hockey cards is kind of this guy named um Bert Corbeau, who you, you've never heard of him. You wouldn't have heard of him if he didn't have the, the rarest hockey card from the vintage era. And but the thing is is that nobody really cares about that card anymore. The only people that care about that card are people that want the complete set. Otherwise, the only people that care about that card are people that want it for its rarity. But if you collect, I shouldn't say nobody, I'll take that back. But if you collect Hall of Famers or you collect impactful players and their rookie cards from the, from the course of history of, of the sport, Burt Corbeau doesn't, doesn't, doesn't land on either of those lists. He's a common. 
he's a common, but he's a very rare card. So my point is that with this, with the instant winner card that Bobby's mentioning from the 84 Opeachy set, it's like, who really cares though, if it's worth more, who actually still wants that card besides the, the real traditional collector who kind of wants that master set of everything that came out of those wax boxes. Um, I consider myself a pretty complete collector mm-hmm. and I have zero interest in that card. That said, I do have a copy of it, but the only reason I have a copy of it is because the stick of gum was still stuck to it when I opened a pack one time and I kept it just to show gum still stuck to a card. That's right. why I have it. So that's appreciate true. the comment, Bobby. Um, worth more. I think that, I think if that is the case, that's going to change because I just don't think people care about it anymore. Similar to the Burt Corbo card. I don't think people really care about it. Um, I know I don't, and I'm pretty hardcore uh, rookie card collector for from all eras. Anyway, Eric, sorry for that long no uh, soliloquy there at the end. No worries. Uh, give you a chance for any parting words. Guys, we're, we're going to wrap this up. So uh, appreciate everybody watching. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please do. You can find Eric on his YouTube show, Beckett Live Presents. You can find him on Twitter at Eric Norton 316 That's on, this, on, the, on the ticker right now at the bottom of your screen. So check those out. Um, again, we have shows coming up every Wednesday and Saturday. We're booked now for the next six weeks or so. So okay. no, there's going to be no lag on guests. It's going to be awesome. Eric, it's been a pleasure having you. You're, you're a great guest, man. You're a great host of your own show, but you're a great guest too. Thank you, sir. I, wanted, I just want to correct myself. I said Lynn Dawson was a kicker. Lynn Dawson was a quarterback. I meant Jan Stanerud. That's who I was thinking of. Uh, I, I realized I was like, wait a minute, Dawson was a Dawson was a quarterback, and you know, fairly decent one. St- Jan Stanerud was the kicker. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> there he is. This is the man who will fact check himself during the show. I love it. I, I had to. I was like, I got it wrong. I, I got to make it right. I love it. I love it, man. Well, Eric, again. Awesome. Awesome having you. Thanks so much. Uh, Proud to have you as my guest for episode 47 of Sports Cards Live. Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll roll through the the parting comments as they come in, and then I'm going to hit end broadcast. I will be coming live again with Amit Acharya in about 25 minutes. Same channel, different broadcast. Please join us. It'll be a nice, relaxing episode. Amish Dave, thank you very much for joining us. Guys, check out Amish Dave's channel. It's one that I watch, and he does a great job on it. So thank you for joining. Building, great to have you as always. Insightful as always. Thanks. Thank you. Carlos, thank you for joining. Guys, check out Carlos's YouTube YouTube channel because I'm Carlos, one of my favorites, David French. I will keep him coming, my man. Thank you for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Eric, great to have you tonight. Thank you so much. Charles, as always, great to have you guys. Charles was my guest on After Hours, the first, no, the second ever episode of After Hours about three weeks ago. So check that out. He's a youngster in the hobby, a great young ambassador for our hobby as well. Charles, great to see you this evening. Thanks for stopping by. My good friend, Al G, local here. Al, thank you for joining. As always, Legion, great to see you. Terry, another long-term hobby friend. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Megan Norton. Hey, my wife's watching. <laughs> Megan Norton. That's my wife. What are you Happy doing? to have you watching. Your, your, your husband did a great job. You didn't even know she was watching, did you? I didn't know that. Why are you still awake, babe? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning in, Megan. Great to have you. And Jeff McMahon, thank you so much. Really appreciate the comment. Great to have you tonight. Everybody else, we'll see you all in about 24 minutes on the next broadcast of Sports Cards Live After Hours. Everybody, oh, 
I'm so proud of him. Well, you should be. He's a great guy and a great a great uh, hobby representative and a great person in the hobby. So thank you so much for that. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. Good night. Good night. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.